Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woohoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to bring to you my next guest to the podcast. He spent four years on active duty as a United States Marine 0311 Infantry. You know the drill. He spent 22 years and is still active law enforcement with a busy suburb of Chicago. He is a practicing attorney. And he's been practicing law since 2005 and focuses on civil liability for law enforcement. He is the program coordinator for the police academy in his region. His hobbies include kicking ass and enforcing law and order. And Starsky and Hutch have a fucking poster of him in their bedrooms. Welcome to the stage, Sam Bonilla. Wow, thank you. Absolutely, I appreciate (laughs) you coming. Uh, You know, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, given your background and the current political climate that uh, that exists in this country as it relates to law enforcement. Right. Um, you know, so I really appreciate you coming down here and, and taking the time because you've got an invaluable perspective that I know a lot of our listeners both want and need to hear. So uh, thank you for, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, quick shout out to Origin Labs, the Mic Drop podcast sponsor, uh, maker of Jocko's products. For you YouTube assholes, we've got the uh, Jocko white tea on the desk. Uh, as well as all his, all of his other stuff and uh, a host of other supplements that they make on their own, as well as jujitsu gis, uh, boots, jeans, and some other things of that nature. Shout out to Origin Labs, the sponsor of the podcast. Uh, what is your favorite donut? My favorite donut? Yeah. All of them. All of them. Um, particularly jelly and Boston cream. <laughs> Boston cream. And I can't resist yeah. the donut. I don't care. The yeah. stereotype, that's to- fine. It's totally in there, huh? Yep. Yeah. I, you put a donut out in front of me, I'll take yeah. that over anything. So. Well, that, that leads into my next question. What is your favorite police stereotype? My favorite police stereotype? Mm. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite police stereotype. Um, or I guess the one, one I dislike yeah. the most is that we are all um, biased and yeah. racist, and yeah. <laughs> which is not true. So, yeah, I mean, well, that was actually my next question. What's the biggest false stereotype? Uh, is, is there one that I guess you get the biggest kick out of that, uh, you know, maybe collectively makes you guys laugh, uh, the, the most in terms of a, of a stereotype? Um, that we all like 
Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Look, I like donuts, but yeah. I like a good donut. Yeah. Don't, I'll take thing. a Dunkin' Donuts, trust me, but yeah. I prefer other ones and what, uh, what I prefer is the other coffee too. So. Yeah. What, uh, what is the best donut in your, in your book? Because that's going to um, sway some opinion. Well, coming. we have some, I mean, we have some decent like small town, yeah. you know, bakeries where I'd prefer. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm a bakery nut, so yeah. Yeah. anything baked, sweet, I'll take over food. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, I dig it. Uh, what is, in your opinion, I guess, the best police service pistol and round? The best police service pistol is probably the Glock 17 yeah. as an all-around pistol. Um, my particular department, we carry uh, Sig Sauer, Smith & Wesson, or Glock. We have our choice of oh, okay. a standard police firearm. Yeah. Um, as the range master at my police department, um, if they said you need to pick one pistol, it would probably be the Glock 17 or a Glock 19, yeah. one, one of the two. Which yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with you on that. I think uh, for sure that's as good as, as you can uh, accommodate for, for police service, generally speaking. Uh, I am curious, do you guys carry specific or do you have any type of leeway as to the rounds you can carry? Do you have one that you prefer, you know, brand and grain weight and that kind of shit? We have a, um, well, it depends on the caliber, obviously, because so the weapons that we carry, we have a standard calibers also. So it's either a 9, 45, or 40. And we yeah. have our choice, yeah. which a lot of departments don't get that. No, We're actually pretty fortunate that we get to choose what our comfort level is with the particular round yeah. or firearm. Um, so we have, all of our ammo is Winchester. Oh, okay. So for example, our nine millimeters, the plus P law enforcement. Yeah, is it the yeah. Ranger round? Yes, the yeah. Ranger round, yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and so is it, I'm assuming with that it's a uh, like you're, you are dictated that it has to be Winchester. Or, yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's certainly good rounds. I mean, to me, you know, the the Winchester Ranger, the Spear Gold Dot, the Federal HST, you know, any any of those are pretty trash. Which the Gold Dot we are slowly transitioning to. Oh, really? As as the guys are shooting off their old ammo. Yeah. In practice, not yeah. on the street. Um, <laughs> yeah. As they're shooting off their old ammo, yeah. we're replacing it with the Spear yeah. Gold Dot ammo. Yeah. Dump a mag down that alleyway and get right. rid of the ammo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, no, that's, uh, that's, that's good shit. It's, it's nice to see and hear, I guess, that, uh, that you guys have that leeway because I'm right there with you. I mean, there's elements in my service, and I know, you know, working with a lot of police officers all over the country, a lot of them are dictated, like, you will carry right. this, you will carry that fucking round, you know, and it's just like, man, you got to give guys a little bit of fucking leeway. But Which it's not a one-size-fits-all. I mean, yeah. it really isn't. And yeah. we see a lot of those problems, like I said, at the police academy when we're training with firearms. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got a different height, weight, yeah. size of hand, yeah. what they're capable of handling. Some people have never shot before. Yeah. You know, when you give them a certain round and a certain handgun, and it's like, yeah. you know, what the fuck? You know, yeah. you, can't, you can't shoot that gun, but then you put yeah. something else in there hand yeah and they're yeah. shooting straight it's like yeah you know yeah i wouldn't want to put uh you know a, a, a plus p 10 millimeter in, right. in somebody's hands that's never shot before that's of a slight build for sure uh do you have a craziest arrest story craziest arrest um not really anything too crazy um well, there, there's one that, that you know just pop, kind of popped in my mind. I guess that uh, I don't know that I'd necessarily call it crazy, but it is obscure, absolutely tragic story of uh, is a pitcher down in uh, I think Florida or, or Georgia uh, that uh, he's kind of a you know minor league uh, or you know a farm team coming up into the majors type of pitcher and his wife, uh, their infant son, and his mother-in-law 
uh, it was a, a triple homicide by his wife's brother. So his wife's brother came in, killed his sister. Uh, it would be his nephew and his mom, and then was running around naked. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I saw that on the news this morning. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the story behind yeah, it. Yeah, uh, right, right. But to me, what fucking baffled me is, is how the cops approached the guy. I mean, like, he grabs a dude in a truck, and the dude's running around with a nightstick, and, like, why the fuck wouldn't you just shoot that guy? You right. know, given well, the, especially given the circumstances. But a dude naked running around is obviously off his fucking rocker. Right. Grabs well, a guy in a truck. Something, yeah, probably. grabs a guy by the throat. You know, a civilian in the truck, and a, a cop comes up and you know has his nightstick, and he's chasing him and just you know fucking around with him basically. And I just we'll, we'll get into that. But yeah, I- anything yeah. like that that you've encountered where it's just like totally off the walls. Um, you, know? you know what? So probably several years ago, we got a call of. Um, at one of our local gas stations, there was a girl running around completely naked with yeah. a motorcycle helmet on her head. <laughs> um, as on the way there, of course, it starts pouring rain. Yeah. You know, I'm like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. of course, right? Yeah. So we pull up, and I'm like, this is not true. Because you always think in your head, you get those kind of crazy calls. Yeah. You're like, come on, give me a break. She's yeah. not naked. She's yeah. just wearing something that, yeah. you know, somebody <clears throat> thinks, you know. So yeah. um, I get there, and sure, shit, she's got clothes on. <laughs> she's, brought, she's got this motorcycle helmet on. And so we're like, holy shit, now you got to kind of like grab hold of her. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay. Well, where do you grab? Where do you, you know, right. So, was she um, hot at least? Oh. Uh, <laughs> What's the political correct know, it was, she, she was, she was a young girl. She was yeah. on her way to college. Yeah. And um, so I got two girls, so I yeah. got to be careful. Yeah. I'm not, you know. <laughs> well, you're still a I, dude. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> I guess I, I, yeah. Guess yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, we, I mean, we had to grab her and get control of her because she was yeah. literally running around in traffic and stuff. Um, yeah. Turned out that she just, she lost her mind. She was, her mom gave her a shitload of money to leave for college. She was leaving. She stopped off at the Target, bought however much money she had in her pocket in DVDs. Her car was like loaded with these DVDs. The bought a motorcycle helmet and lost her mind. And we have no idea. But several years later, we got a letter from her mom basically thanking us for, yeah. you know, take control of her, that she had an episode. And we're like, holy shit. So that- she wasn't on anything? She just lost her nope. shit? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just all of a sudden, just something clicked and God she damn. was gone, you know? So, yeah. Um, so, which, okay, so that reminded me of kind of another one, which was kind of interesting. So, we go to, uh, we get a call of these two guys stealing a barbecue grill mm-hmm. um, at this apartment complex. So we arrive on the scene and um, we could see them going up the stairwell and they're carrying this barbecue grill. So I'm like, all right, if they stole that or did they pull it out of a dumpster somewhere? You know, it was, the, it was late at night, you know, and we could see the lights in their stairwell and they're carrying it up. We make our way into the apartment building. We go upstairs. We see all the shit that it was dropping. We could literally follow them, knock <laughs> on the door. And um, they answer the door, and we're like, they're like, well, can we help you? You know, like, yeah, where's the barbecue grill? Yeah. They're like, and where did you get it? He's like, oh, some dude threw it out in the dumps. It was a nice grill. We just need to clean it up. I'm like, let me see the grill. You know, be, I'll make the determination yeah, if somebody, somebody threw, threw their shit out or not, right? Yeah. He goes, oh, I don't want to bring it through the house again. Why don't you come on in? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we're walking through this long hallway in this house. And um, as we walk through at the corner of my eye, I see this fluorescent light on this open doorway. Kind of look in there. And fucking this guy's got a whole grow operation Jesus. in his house. God, how fucking dumb is that? <laughs> so we're walking through. We're like, are you freaking kidding me? Jesus. So we're dealing. And right away, the kid goes, oh, this is not my house. Yeah. His high school diploma is hanging on his yeah. wall right there. And he's like, this is not my house. Yeah. But you're dragging a grill that you pulled out of a dumpster through your, not your house. Right. Yeah. So now we're standing there dealing with that. And all of a sudden, some dude from the next next door 
sees the squad cars outside, sees the police out there, comes running in here in his boxer shorts, says, you gotta come over, my wife, my girlfriend's kicking the shit out of me next door. Like, <laughs> get back over there, we'll get there in a minute. Just, what the fuck, this is like way too much, right? Yeah. So How many of you are there? Is there were three of us three standing of us. there. So I, I tell one of my guys, stay here, I'm gonna go over there. Cause he goes back to, into his apartment, he's like, fine, he goes back to his apartment. We go back over there and um, well, I walk in there and sure enough, I open the door to see what's going on. His girlfriend was standing there also with, in just her underwear yeah. um, is kicking the shit out of him on the floor. He's like curled up in a ball and she's Jesus kicking the shit Christ. out of him. He's like, oh, well, help me, help me. I was like, All right. can't make once again, show. I'm trying to grab him, grab her. And I'm like, yeah. I have nowhere to grab, you know, yeah. so I'm like. Well, see, I mean, so in both of those cases, I mean, how, how do you handle a naked woman you know, in terms of that? Is it just oh, kind of you do what you have to do? You to, do what you have to do. You just yeah. have to grab her around the waist or something. Yeah, or you wherever know, you have to Kind of just get control of her, you yeah. know. But, yeah. yeah, I'm also worried about getting smacked or something, too, yeah. you know. But, sure. but And I don't want to get any, I don't want anybody saying thing that I did anything inappropriate, yeah. you know, either. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some uh, the stories that I get, you know, in teaching canine conference at canine conferences and different, you know, seminars and workshops and shit throughout the year uh, of of crazy arrest stories. It's honestly uh, and admittedly probably my favorite part of it is just right. hearing, hearing the ridiculous shit that goes on. Oh, it's uh, amazing that, that you just usually don't hear about, especially by the guys that are actually dealing with it. It's uh, it's really pretty mind-numbing the the shit that you guys go through and and i think most people don't realize you know the amount of stuff and and hopefully episodes like this for the non uh law enforcement that that listens um you know to the show give you a little bit of better perspective on stuff like that um before i ask you about your morning routine i am curious what is it like being sam's dad who's dating mike of forged for those of you listening i, I interviewed uh, samantha Benia. And uh, and her boyfriend Mike, uh, former teammate, instructor of mine. Uh, not a, not an instructor of mine. We were instructors together, uh, but you know, a good friend of mine that uh, you know is a co-owner of Forge and, and whatever. Is how how uh, nutty is that? I guess Does that always keep you on your toes. Yes, um, I'm constantly. Well, she has all these subscribers to everything, yeah. and I'm and especially a lot of the guys at the police department. Mm. You know, and I get a lot of the guys. Oh, are like, Christ, I can't even imagine. Right. Hey, dude, did you see what your daughter posted? I'm like, no, I didn't. Yeah, well, let me tell you about it. Yeah. I'm like, that's all right. I yeah. don't need any, you know, yeah. any specifics. Um, I, I like I said, I see some of the pictures that she posts, and yeah. you know, fine with it. She's yeah. look, she's not doing anything that's harming her or anybody else, and yeah. she's out there doing her thing. And yeah. look, she's got an awesome life. I mean, you can't yeah. deny that. Oh yeah, they're traveling, they're doing all kinds of stuff, and yeah, I mean, I mean, look, she's a pretty cool kid. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, you know, as a father of, of uh, a couple of daughters that uh, you know that, that are a fair bit younger than than her, but uh, you know, it, it is kind of a strange situation to find yourself in, I guess. But uh, w- right. give me some dirt on Mike that I can bust his balls about. Um, I, you know, I don't really have a lot of dirt <laughs> on him. Um, he's a lot shorter in person yeah. than he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's no shit. No, but he's 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 an awesome dude. He really is. I mean, yeah. no, down to earth. You know, yeah. very laid back. Yeah. You know, he is. Uh, he's an awesome guy. Um, yeah. Eh, he was in the Navy, but I mean, what yeah. are you gonna do? You what know. Can you do right? Um, trust me, me. Me and Samantha kind of bust tag his team his ass. Not, you know, yeah. when, when he's around us and stuff, we bust his chops. But yeah, no, he's you know, great. he gives it right back, and yeah. which is cool. I mean, yeah. it's No, he's a great, great mug, no doubt about it. Shout out to Mike of uh, Forged. Um, what is your morning routine on a, on just kind of a normal, normal day? Um, well, I could tell you this. I don't really 
have a morning routine. You know, I worked the night shift oh, really? at the police department. So um, my morning routine is getting off work and um, changing uniforms and then heading out to the police yeah. academy and then, um, and then doing that. I mean, I guess if I had to say what my, I, it would be probably easier to say what my weekly routine is yeah. as far as like, so for example, like on Sundays is, is an actual day off of me. Yeah. There's no, you know, I work Saturday nights into Sunday mornings come home, take a nap, get up, and then um, it's getting ready for the week. Yeah. So Sunday is my preparation day. Well, so if you're working nights and then going to the police academy, when are you fucking sleeping? In the afternoons? Um, for a couple randomly. Yeah. I, I mean, in the car here, in the car yeah. there, I'm God sleeping damn. right now, you know, so. I mean, that shit, that is not is not good for you. Nope, it's not. Uh, um, I've, been, I've been doing it for a few years now, yeah. and... I keep saying, how long can I keep this shit up, you know, and well, before yeah. it catches up to me. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I, you know, I was never a cop, but I, I know enough of them to know uh, and just kind of been around long enough, I guess, new guy wise, is that, you know, typically somebody that spent 22 years, I mean, is it your choice to, to be on nights? Or? I've always picked midnights. Really? I spent the majority of my career on midnights. The yeah. only time that I had not worked midnights is when I was forced to work another shift. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, which has been rare. Yeah. Um, so I spent most of my career on the midnight shift. Is, uh, is it because it's busier then or? Well, you get, yeah, you get, I think the police work is better. I, yeah. um, I'm not, I'm a commander by where I work, but I'm not, you know, most of that position is normally admin. Yeah. Uh, but I like to get out on the street and I still like to do police work. I like yeah. to put my hands on, yeah. you know, get my hands dirty and, yeah. and, and do that still. Um, I mean, yeah. you can ask any of my guys, I mean, that, that I'm out there with. I mean, yeah. that I'll get out there and I'm not afraid to, to get involved up. in shit, you yeah. know. That's awesome. Um, but that's good... I, it frees me up during for the day, I yeah. guess is why I work the nights. Because, yeah. you know, as the kids were smaller, I got to spend time with them because while they're sleeping i'm away yeah when they wake up i'm home you know and then as the kid got the kids got older and i started getting into other stuff it freed me up to like you know do my law stuff and yeah. you know go to the academy and stuff so. yeah with that kind of i guess schedule being what it is uh has that impacted you you know health wise or whatever because i mean I, how old are you I am 49. I mean, because you, you look like you're younger than me, you know? I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like, there's nothing about your face or build structure, whatever, that says, you know, you have a lead a super stressful life. I don't know if it's just genetics or what, but uh, it looks like you take really good care of yourself. But I also know, you know, sleeping in, in those types of patterns for most of your adult life is uh -huh. fucking hard on you. How do you balance that? Um, you know, I, I can't say I eat good because I yeah. eat like shit. I do. Um, <laughs> it's got to be fucking I'm not, crazy. I'm not a dieter, yeah. you know, and I spend a lot of time going through drive throughs and shit. You probably shouldn't <laughs> have, but, um, you know, Taco Bell, Wendy's, yeah. whatever the fuck's open, you know, in the middle yeah. of the night. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I try to work out when I can. I try to, you know, stay as healthy as, as I can, you know. Yeah. I get checked out. I mean, I get checked out. I mean, that's important. You got to yeah. go get checked out once in a while and make sure yeah. that your shit's good, you know, and um, I mean, I probably just genetics i mean yeah. other than i mean it has know, to be other than the hair yeah, I mean, yeah. The oh, fuck, shit. You know, I'm, so. <laughs> I'm right there with you I'm, I'm a fair bit younger so uh that's good shit are you originally from uh, chicago or no. where did you grow up i grew up in new york so okay. um i grew up in i was born and raised in brooklyn new york yeah um in east new york um start city which is now i think called spring creek mm -hmm. or something like that so um when i was about 12 13 we moved out to long island um, which is where I spent my teenage years and then um, ultimately left 
for the Marine Corps from there, and I've yeah. been what, back to visit, but not to live there again. Could you uh, describe the just kind of the environment of growing up in you know Brooklyn and Long Island uh, as a kid at, at that time? Did you have siblings? Was it uh, hectic? Was it dangerous? What, what can you tell me? Um, about that? I do. I have a younger sister, um, and it wasn't. You know, when you're growing up in that, you don't realize the dangers around you. I mean, yeah. you you just accept that as your normal way of life. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I would walk to school. My my parents, you know, both worked. You know, we both me and my sister stayed at home alone. You know, and I think most kids that grew up around my time kind of did that when both your parents worked, and yeah. you kind of just came up from school, turned on the TV, and just waited till your parents came home. You had a snack and. Um, you know, but I walked to school and there wasn't, you know, you don't really notice a lot of the shit that you notice now when yeah. you're out walking around and you're like, yeah. oh, look, drug deal there, gangbanger there. This, yeah. the, you know, you're kind of oblivious to that. So growing up, I didn't really pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. You know, looking back now, going back now, I'm like, holy shit, I grew up here. You yeah. know, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, were there any like crazy drive-bys or, or huge? No, no, nothing like that. I mean, like Star City at the time was a new housing complex growing yeah. up i mean i mean so was it was it, fairly it was safe i mean it was I, it was nice yeah. i mean it wasn't bad was, was it a uh, a project it was it looks like it but yeah. i wouldn't say they're like the projects yeah. it, it, it does look like it if you saw pictures of it, it yeah but i wouldn't say it's the projects yeah. and you what, know uh, and then then moving out to long island it was just like any other suburbs yeah you know you got your subdivision with everybody has a you know house and yeah what uh, what did your parents do growing up mom my mom was, uh, she worked for a company called Light Alarms. And what they did was like, if the power went out, you, you ever see those lights that light oh, yeah. up? And oh, so okay. that's what they made. They, oh, okay. they, so she worked for that. I think she was uh, some kind of administrative something. I mean, yeah. um, and my dad worked for a company called Continental Grain. Um, and he, well, he started off in the mailroom over there at that company and then kind of worked his way up to yeah. vice president. Um, oh, wow. Worked his ass off. And um, he uh, he was kind of overseeing grain exports, soybeans, corn, you know, and, and he had a lot of responsibility with that, yeah. you know. Yeah. What, what were the biggest uh, life lesson takeaways uh, that you gained from your parents, seeing them work, the work ethic, things like that? What, uh, what did you really take away from them? That's probably the biggest thing is, is their work ethic. I yeah. mean, both of them worked their asses off all their life yeah. to give us the life that we had as best sure. they could, you know. Yeah. Like I said, as, as we started getting older, I think they started identifying, you know, certain situations where we had currently lived and then took us out of that. We got yeah. to the suburbs where it was nicer and, you know, yeah. you know, we could spend some time out there. And they worked their asses off to get, you know, I wouldn't say we were we were poor, but there were, think, there were times when it was tight, sure. you know, and... You know, but it was, you know, I, I think they did the best they could. And I took that away from both of them, you know, yeah. as far as that work ethic. And you yeah. should work your ass off. And Did you play any sports or, or any, anything like that growing up? Um, I played football for, for one year in yeah. 10th grade. <laughs> um, I was 130 pounds and I got my ass kicked yeah. um, every day. Um, and I thought, fuck this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, so I didn't, I didn't. Play Nothing a lot else. of sports. I yeah. really wasn't like into a lot of sports either. I mean, yeah. it, baseball was a big thing out by us. You know, my my dad always took me to the Yankees games and the Mets games. Yeah. I'm a Mets fan though. But yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, you know, like we we went to a lot of games. I love watching games live. Yeah. I'm not. I can't sit there and watch on TV now. I can football, but yeah. uh, 
you know, I'm not really like. Yeah. Do you, uh, or, or I guess, did you have any, any hobbies or things that, I mean, what were you into as a kid that. Oh, I was going to be a rock star, dude. Really? Oh yeah. Fucking music. Huh? Yeah. What, uh, what yeah. kind of music? Um, Just at pro- the time it was like the eighties here. Yeah. Metal, Molly you know? Crew and fucking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, that That's was, awesome. that was going to be my thing. Like yeah. that was. Did you play any instruments? I played guitar. Really? Yeah. Do you still? No. 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 I mean, These could you pick one like, up and, yeah. <laughs> I mean, could you pick one up and play anything anymore? Um, no, that's, really. I could probably throw a few chords out there yeah. and, you know, but it yeah. would be very, very yeah. rough. You, <laughs> see, you lost the passion for it. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, to me, uh, that, that would be something that, uh, you know, as a guitar player and I'm not good, but, uh, you know, I can play some songs and a few things here and there, but I enjoy it, you know, and, and right. to me, it's one of those things where, you know, in terms of thinking of all the other things that you do, something like that, uh, you know, and that's for everybody out there, I think, having something that is completely, uh, you know, different and, and deflective of everything else that you have going on in your life. That you totally. Can, you Absolutely. Know, but, I mean, and I keep telling myself, dude, take some time, yeah. chill out, pick up the guitar, you know, yeah. strum some shit out, you know, and, and chill out. But yeah. every time I think of that stuff, I pick it up. I'm like, like okay, <laughs> done. I, I, I will say this. I mean, in today's day and age with fucking YouTube, I mean, it, like, God damn, I wish we would have had that oh, in, in yeah, high school or growing up. But I mean, with that, I mean, it's it's so much easier to play and get better with, you know, knowing, yeah. you know, being able to watch all that stuff. But, Absolutely. Um, all right. So when you were in high school, um, you, you know, what if you could kind of walk through the, the process of, of deciding I'm going to join the Marines and, and how that shook out? Um. I was always fascinated with the military growing up. I mean, growing up in the 70s and 80s, you had all like the Vietnam movies coming out and stuff, you know, um, Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, yeah. you know, Apocalypse Now, you know, all the, you know, like I said, all the Vietnam movies were coming out and it was, you know, as a teenage boy looking at that, I mean, you, you get enamored by that almost, you know, it's almost glorified. Um, you know, and I had family members that were in the military and stuff and, you know, I think at an early age, I knew I was going to go into the military. I just didn't know what branch at the time. I mean, yeah. I didn't know the difference between them, you know, growing up. Um, <clears throat> you know, watching like MASH on TV, you know, shit like that was on, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, that also kind of made the humorous side of, you know, the military and stuff. Yeah. So I was kind of always fascinated by it. We would go see family members that were in the military. We'd be on the military base. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we'd stay at the, the base hotel and you get that, that mildew smell and, yeah. that I love now. You yeah. know, I love that smell now. But everybody's like, what the fuck? You know, I'm like <laughs> that old military. Yeah. What, were, uh, how were your parents in terms of their reaction? Were they supportive of it? Were they nervous? With- well, so at the time, I, I thought they were supportive of it. It wasn't until years later that my dad told me that he was totally against it. No shit. Yes. Um, but he just wasn't, didn't say that? or what? He never said a word. So yeah. I basically was like, you know what? I'm going to join, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. You know, I came home and told my mom, my mom calls my dad, oh my, he's joining the Marine Corps, you know? So my dad, but here's the thing, I was 17. I needed them to sign the paperwork. Yeah. I couldn't do it myself. So yeah. I needed their permission. So um, my dad had like a hour and a half, two hour commute from Manhattan out to Long Island at the time. He would take the train. So this is the story he told me. He said, when my mom called him and told him what I decided to do, he was pissed. My son's not going into the military. You know, he's going to college. We save all this money. He's going to college. He's going to make a life for himself, you know. The two-hour train ride calmed him down. Really? He had time to reflect on that. Came home and said, you know what? Proud of you, son. That's, wow. If you want to do that, then that's what you want to do. 
in in that fucking two hour time frame, that that uh, paradigm shift happened. Man. Yeah, and I didn't know that till years later. He told oh. me, um, you know, as my girls were growing up, and there yeah. there were things that they did. You know, I have two girls also, and, yeah. and, and Samantha and Sierra, and as they grew up and they were doing things that I were not happy with. <laughs> like um, what? He, no, you know, I, my dad's like, hey, dude, you know, rem- yeah. don't forget where you came from. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I'm like, all right, you know. Yeah. So, and then he told me that story about that, you know, and I'm like. Yeah. Was there a, I mean, not, having not known really what the difference, you know, was branch to branch, was it the, kind of the elite nature of, of what most people think of Marines in terms of discipline and whatever, is that what drew you to them? Or, yes. Yeah. So I, I have, I have an uncle. And he was in the Marine Corps. And I remember when he came home from boot camp, you know, seeing the uniform squared away, you know, yeah. and it was like, and it, the family was making a big to-do about him. And it was like, yeah. holy shit. I mean, yeah. you know, that's what I want. And then when I, as I got older and I started looking into the different branches, you know, it was kind of like, you know, hey, I want, you know, at the time I want the toughest branch. I want, you know, I yeah. want a challenge, Yeah. you know. And What year was that that you went in? 88. 88. And what, what was that process like, if you could just kind of synopsize your, your time in the Marine Corps? Um, so I, I initially got signed to security forces and got put on a ship. And I was like, fuck, if I wanted yeah. to be on the ship, I'd join the fucking Navy. Like, <laughs> right there with they, you, they, they even stuck, in the SEAL team. Yeah, they stuck me on a ship. I was like on an aircraft carrier, the Forrestal, yeah. Yeah. Um, Holy shit. which was the forest yeah. fire. Yeah. And that son of a bitch caught fire when we were on it, really? too. So, yeah. Jesus. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah Woo-hoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Things a fucking um, tinderbox. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, at the time, it was the oldest carrier in the fleet. So, I mean, we got put on the aircraft carrier. You know what? I, in in hindsight, looking back though, I it was awesome. I mean, it was it was great being on the carrier. I mean, yeah. especially during the Gulf War. Is when that broke out around that time, mm-hmm. um, you know, the first part of that when um, into Iraq and stuff. And they asked who wanted to go to the fleet, you know. So everybody's like, yeah, I want to go to the fleet. I joined the Marine Corps because I want to kick ass. Let's fucking get me off this fucking ship, you know. Yeah. They were like, no, not everybody can go. Guess yeah. what? You're staying on the ship. Hearing stories later on about being out in the desert, being in the sand, how fucking miserable it was. <laughs> yeah. Of course, this was before, this is when they were first getting acclimated yeah. to that environment, yeah. how freaking miserable it was, all the yeah. fires in the oil fields and everything. Dude, yeah. I had air conditioning. Yeah. I had three meals a day. It was, yeah. I was like, holy shit. Well, a lot of those guys didn't get to do shit either. You know, they I mean, also, right. You yeah. know, some of them did. They just but, suffered in the sand. Yeah, you know, a they lot did. of them. Fucking running from scorpions and yeah. shit. So. Yeah. yeah. So, what you know, 
I'm assuming then when when uh, the first Gulf War broke out, you were were you on a deployment at all during that time? We we got deployed shortly after that. Yeah, yeah. and just as kind of like a quick reaction thing, like just yeah. wait waiting for shit. Yes, that's all we did. Yeah, you know it's funny because so when I up to to go back a little bit my, when I first left, you know my mom's like, you know kissing me goodbye. I'm leaving for boot camp in the morning and shit. You know my mom's like, hey, whatever you do. Don't sleep with a prostitute. Your dick will fall off. <laughs> your, who right. says That's this? Your my mom, right? Your so mom like, does All right, it. thanks for the advice, mom. You know, right? It's fucking hardcore. From Bro- I mean, she grew up in Brooklyn, yeah. right? She's tough as nails. So the fact that it was your mom and not your dad <laughs> telling you that right. is priceless. So, well, she's looking out for her baby boy, yeah. you know. So, um, so then um, years later, which brings me to the Gulf War, I'm like calling home, like, "Mom, you're sending me to war, right? I mean, I never see you again. Yeah. Right? We didn't know what the fuck was going on, you know." Yeah. She's like, "Dude." Relax, you're on a freaking aircraft carrier. You can't build a better fighting hole than that. Yeah. What the fuck? You know, yeah. I'm like, okay, see you, mom. Yeah. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> fucking level headed mom. <laughs> right? huh? Yeah, Man, that's it's crazy. like stop being a pussy, you yeah. know. So. <laughs> yeah. What uh I mean, what what was kind of, you know, just like with your parents, what was what did you take away from the Marine Corps? I've had a you know, a few on the, my last guest guest uh, was was a Marine Raider and Force Recon guy. I've had Dakota on, I've had a couple of guys with uh with some experience in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. There, there's certainly a almost a stereotype or a cookie cutterness uh, with you know Marines in a certain way that uh, that I think is awesome that they do a fantastic job in molding you know young service members to to be a certain way to carry themselves oh, yeah, a certain way. What was you, kind of your favorite thing about the Marines or what you took away from your time there? Um, I can tell you this. I knew what I was getting into when I got there. Mm-hmm. None of that shit shocked me when I, you know, I wasn't like, holy fuck, what did I get myself into? Which yeah. a lot of guys there were like that. And I was like, you didn't fucking know what you were getting into when you signed that paper? Like, yeah. how, how did you <laughs> not know? I mean, yeah. you're like, you're getting yelled at here. Like, there were dudes like crying. Like, yeah. I can't believe I did this. Like, the fuck do you think was going to happen? Right, what did you think was going to I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Dude, I spent most of my time in boot camp laughing my ass off. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I was on the quarter deck most of the time getting thrashed because of that. But yeah. I thought it was fucking hysterical. Yeah. Like, God, there, there was probably a couple of times where I was like, fuck, you know, yeah. where it was kind of yeah. tough. But for the most part, I was like, this is what fucking I needed in my life. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Um, the structure, the organization, the ass kickings I got. I mean, yeah. that was... I mean, that shit fucking still excites me, you yeah. know? And I'm like, I, I was like, this is great. This has fucking changed my life. Yeah. Do you incorporate some of that into the police academy? Yeah, as much as I possibly yeah. can. I mean, the biggest complaint I get is, what the fuck? This isn't boot camp, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. But that's, I mean, yeah. but the structure and the way they do things there is just amazing. I mean, they yeah. take this large mass of Morons. men and women yeah. and basically break them down, strip them of everything they've ever known, Mm-hmm. And like literally, like they're Repro- born again. Yeah, it's like you know? reprogramming. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You yeah. know, and they, you know, they they instill all this shit in you that you're just like, yeah, wow. You know, it reminds me almost like the what, what was that movie? Um, where the guy's sitting there with the probes in his eyes like this and a Clockwork Orange. Oh yeah, I haven't you, seen you, it. Oh but... no, and he's he's got these things in his eyes and they're like showing him all these TV screens and they're oh, like yeah. reprogramming his yeah. shit and like fucking and, remapping his brain. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like that. I mean, it yeah. was like, but it was like. This is what I wanted. This yeah. is what I needed. I needed the challenge, and I need to be able to see that I could fucking succeed in shit if I fucking work my ass off, yeah. you know? And that's yeah. the boot camp they told you. You work your ass off there, 
you 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 will get rewarded at the end. Yeah. You know, you get that eagle open anchor. You know, I'm sure it was a lot like you know, like the SEAL teams. You know, you yeah. get you get that trident at the end. And you're like, fuck, I worked my ass off for this oh, shit. Yeah. It means a lot to yeah. me. You yeah, know, I mean, how much shit in the world in the real world do you kind of get that? Yeah, I'm gonna work my ass off at college for four years and well, get my degree. But yeah, there's less and less of it as there are more uh, participation trophies and. The neutralization of uh, of each successive generation having the even the ability to distinguish themselves or stand out for any reason, you know. Right. And I think that that's why there's a lot of social problems that exist now uh, that didn't exist 20, 30, 40 years ago is is because of that. Is that you know kids are trying to figure out a way uh, because we can't keep score anymore. You can't fucking win at anything. There's no valedictorians. Right. Like, you, right, right. you know, whether you fucking scored 30 points or zero, you get the same goddamn trophy, you know, and, and that's not how human beings work, you know? Right. So I, I think that's a large contributing factor, which I have a couple of notes written down in, in relation to that and how it affects uh, policing. But well, yeah, but as far as boot camp, I mean, that yeah. was, I mean, that was yeah. awesome. I mean, and even the games that they played, you know, fucking around with you and shit like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I thought that shit was funny. I mean, yeah. Yeah, making no, I, you down yeah. two canteens of water right after chow. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you're, there's people throwing, throwing up, up and, and yeah. shit. And I was laughing and puking at the same time. Yeah. It was fucking hysterical, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, get on your face. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. I'm laughing at the same time. What the yeah. fuck do you think is so funny? I'm yeah. like... Yeah, I'm sure you were a, a hit with them, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, right. Um, so, wrapping up your your career and time in the Marines, did you do how many? Did you do multiple deployments or just the one? I or? went on three. I went on three deployments. Oh wow! Um, were any all of med them? floats? Yeah, all, all were med floats. I was on the East Coast. I was yeah. an East Coast Marine. Yeah. Um, so, um, we the East Coast. They go out to the Mediterranean all the time. So yeah. I did three med floats, and the first time was awesome. You got to see all the different things. You know, we went on some training ops and with different nations and stuff. And, um, but after the second and third one, I was like, fuck, you know, same yeah. place, same, same ports, you yeah. know, so I'm like, okay, I've yeah, seen time, it, you know, time to roll. um, I actually tried to reenlist, um, and it was after the Gulf war, but they had activated so many reservists and I wanted to change my MOS. And they were like, no, you know, you can reenlist in the infantry. And as soon as we get something open, yeah, we'll get you. I'm like, Fuck that. I was like, well, all right. You yeah. know, now I got a, you know, at the time, you know, now I got a wife and a kid, you know. Yeah. Samantha was born by then, you know. So I was like, eh, don't yeah. get out, you yeah. know. Um, so w once you did decide to get out and pull chalks, what, uh, walk us through that process from when you got out to, uh, you know, getting into law enforcement and, and how that happened. All right. So a after I got out, I mean, uh, uh, fucking clueless to the civilian world, yeah. you know. You get out and um, you think that, you know, they, in the Marine Corps, they hype you up. You're the Marines, you're the best. Everybody's going to look at you. You're hireable, you know, you know, they, they give you all this stuff. So you get out with all this confidence that you're going to take over the world, you know, when, when you get out. And, and shit isn't like that, in, you know, in the real world. And I could see why, you know, a lot of military guys get out and they get, you know, really disenfranchised with, you know, with being a civilian. Because yeah. it's not like the military. Nobody's telling you you know, when to eat, how to dress, or what to do anymore. You know, now mm -hmm. you got to fucking figure that shit out for yourself. Yeah. You know, and then when you get out with the family, it's even worse because now you got to take care of your family. And I'll tell you, when, when I got out, I, I had no clue what I was in for. Um, I get out, we moved to Tennessee, um, which is where my wife was from at the time. And so we, um, we go to Tennessee and I went to the, to the employment office 
you know, looking for a job. I'm thinking, all right, just go there. They'll get me a job. It'll be great. So I walk in there and I fill out all these forms and stuff. I sit down with the counselor and he's going through, oh yeah, okay, nice. Wow, he did this, he did all that. Okay, this is great. Yeah, I got nothing for you. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding, right? He goes, no. He goes, you know, all these things are, are wonderful, but they're not transferable in a civilian world. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I go, I got a wife and a kid. I need, I need a job. Like, can you give me anything? I'll fucking shovel shit or something. I don't yeah. give a shit, you know? Yeah. He goes, nah, I don't have anything for you. So like talk about being deflated, you know, yeah. going home and just being like, fuck, you yeah. know, now what do I do? So you know what? Fucking adapt and overcome just like anything else. And I fucking worked at a gas station on the night shift so I could go to school during the day. Yeah. Wow. That's what I did for several years. No shit. Yep. What, uh, what were you going to school for at that time? Um, accounting. No shit. It's going to be an accounting <laughs> clerk, right? So... Was that, uh, I mean, was that kind of the, the path or the goal that, that you had set? You know what? I, when, I, when I went to the college and I started off at a community college, a local community college, and, you know, I figured what, you know, I want to get into business and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I want to have a business degree and, um, or, or something in business. So I started off with accounting and, and that's kind of, you know, talking to the counselor and they're like, yeah, it's good. It's fine. You know, so. So did you end up getting your degree in accounting? No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like probably with most people, you know, yeah. you start changing shit up as you go through. And yeah. So I got my associate's degree, and then I went after I moved to Illinois was when I finished my bachelor's degree. What? So when you, what made you decide to go from Tennessee to Illinois at that point? So my mom and dad had gotten, uh, my dad had gotten transferred from Manhattan. His job um, was bought out. His company was bought out by Cargill. So Cargill bought out Continental Grain and they offered him a job in Illinois. Yeah. So he took it and he moved to Illinois. Um, him, my mom and my sister all went because my sister was still living at home at the time. Um, and after living in Knoxville, we lived in Knoxville at the time, so it was Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I was like, man, eh, you know, I'm still working at the gas station. I'm like, you know, I'm finishing up school. He's like, why don't you come up here? Come to Illinois, they got jobs everywhere, you know, it's, you got, the, you got the city, you got the suburbs, you know, you got country, you know, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. So I'm like, fine. So that's where we go. We move up to Illinois, stay with them for a while, get established. Um, I was working as an accounting clerk at the time. Um, when I got up there, found a job right away, like I said, as, a, as an accounting clerk. And then um, I just saw an ad in the newspaper for police. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. You know what? I'll give it a try. What the hell? You know, it's, yeah. I, I had no idea about the benefits. I had no idea about all this, all the other stuff associated with it. I just thought yeah. going from the military to law enforcement seemed like a, a normal transition, yeah. you know? And so I was like, you know what? I felt the application. I filled out that, that application for, you know, that particular municipality. And uh, I was number two on the list and ultimately ended up getting hired within like a year or so. Yeah. What were the first few years like uh, as a cop? Um, it was a lot of learning. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot of learning from, I had some good, um, veteran police officers that I worked with and mm-hmm. worked under. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I was more afraid of those guys who worked in patrol than I were my, my supervisors there. Yeah. Cause the guys that worked in patrol with me would fucking drag you in the locker room <laughs> and kick the shit out of you if you screwed up. Yeah. You know, your supervisors, they're just going to write you up and, yeah. you know, maybe yell at you. Fuck, I could take that shit, you yeah. know, but these guys will yeah. <laughs> drag you. Know. In my opinion, uh, similarly in the SEAL teams, that, that would happen. And uh, I'm assuming it's, well, I know it is, it's even more apparent 
uh, in police forces. That shit doesn't happen anymore, does it? Right. No. Yeah. No. I think it that's a pro- I think it's a fucking problem too. I think that's why absolutely why there's more discipline problems now is because we're not we don't have the ability to police ourselves, both the military and the police. That's one of the biggest things that yeah. that I talk about, you know, at the academy and at our police department yeah. is is that the ability to police yourselves. Like you're gonna go out there and you're gonna have the balls to tell some dude he's under arrest and stuff, but you can't tell your buddy that he just fucked up. Yeah. Like, yeah, like how retarded. is that possible? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a huge problem, no doubt about it. And I've got a couple notes written on that as well, so I don't want to get too off track, but I am curious. Gotcha. In terms of those first few years and, and the subsequent years leading all the way up until, you know, here you sit at, at 22 years, could you walk us through kind of your, your career as a cop and give us some of the highlights? Um, all right, so like every police officer, they send you to the academy. Um, I thought the academy was going to be a lot like boot camp, you know, and it totally wasn't. I mean, yeah. the police academy that I, that I went to, which is the one that I, I coincidentally work at now, um, was uh, they basically had one college. It was at a community college. They had one college room, and we just, you know, sat there learning all day. We did some practical scenario stuff, but nothing too complicated. And I was like, this is it, you know? Um, I had a wheel gun that okay. my department at the time was traditionally still a wheel gun department. The 38 357? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The Smith & Wesson 686. I yeah. still have that fucker, too. If we um, shot, we actually shot those uh, in the SEAL teams with the only time we would carry them is uh, diving operations, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which is good to have a wheel gun if you're sure. coming out of the water. But that's the only time we'd ever fuck with it. But a uh, nice gun, but I damn sure wouldn't want one as a cop. Not, right, exactly. Yeah. But that was, it was a traditional thing yeah. that we were, you know, that our administration at the time felt that you're on probation you're carrying a wheel gun yeah when you get off probation we'll give you a sig sour um 226 nine millimeter and that's what you'll carry then so yeah so it was an easy way to distinguish who was who then if you're carrying a wheel well, gun yeah, you're well, a spanker we were the only, new guy we were the only department at the police ca- with a yeah. wheel gun. I had to get <laughs> they had to pull me off to the side yeah. and kind of give me special attention on on firing this thing and because yeah. i was the only one in the academy that had that yeah. you know and it was like i felt like kind of like the slow kid in the class. Like, you know, yeah. you pull me off to the side. and But I'll tell you what, I outshot every one of those fuckers yeah. with that thing too. Yeah. With, uh, I'm, I'm curious. So with the, like looking back on it, um, two things is how well do you feel that, that your time at the academy prepared you to be a, a beat cop uh, as well as what do you draw from the experiences in, in the academy when you went through and, and whether there were good things, bad things, combination, whatever, how much do you pull from that to influence now being a program director for an academy? Yeah, so they, um, you don't you don't learn Jack nearly shit. enough. Now, okay, I, before, early on when I went through, you don't really, you didn't learn nearly enough. I mean, I think at the time I went through it was only 10 weeks uh, of academy cl- training um and it was so it was short they try to give you as much as they can and look their job is to train you in basic law enforcement it's like saying out of boot camp you're ready to you know to do your specialized task and, yeah. and you're just not yeah. you know it's more general in nature of what you're yeah. learning um like i said what i learned was what i learned from the guys on the street once i got there yeah you know and hands-on experience you know learning for myself look I fucked up a lot. I still fuck up a lot. And that's part of learning. I mean, you know, if you're going to get out there and get your hands dirty, you're going to screw up once in a while. You know what? Yeah. You, you, you fix it. And that's it. What was the process from, you know, as soon as you finished the academy, uh, 
and, you know, moving into being, you know, on whatever shift you're on, et cetera. Describe that process real quick for, you know, for the listener. I know, like, if you're not really prepared, uh, you know, or, or woefully inadequately prepared, uh, you know, to go right into to patrolling and things like that, what's, what does that transition period look like with some of the OJT type stuff? Okay, so some of the larger departments, they run their own police academy. Chicago has their own police academy. NYPD has their own academy. Um, you know, a lot of the larger they, cities have their own police academy. Yeah. For us out in the suburbs, they, it's one police academy for multiple municipalities. So the only thing that we're required to do in those academies is get you certified by the state. Certified by the state of Illinois, that's it. Mm -hmm. They give us a curriculum that we have to teach and we have to hope that we do the best we can for the officers that are now going to these respective departments. Yeah. Once they get to those departments, the standard thing that they do is you spend about a week to two weeks in-house learning administrative stuff, learning the culture of that particular municipality. Because um, you could go from one suburb to the next and it'd be totally different. Mm -hmm. You know, one has a gang problem. The other one has business problems. The other one has, you know, other issues, you know, associated with it. So everybody has their own little nuances in their municipalities that they have to focus on. Yeah. So they take that generalization that they learned in the academy and then they break it down to a more specialized, you know, catering to the culture of their particular municipality. Yeah. And then, then they stick you with an FTO for however many weeks. Um, ours, for example, is like three months, but I know there's other municipalities that are a lot longer. An FTO is a field training officer yeah. um, who's a veteran police officer that now takes you out and basically shows you how to you actually know, be a cop. How to actually be the police. Yeah. And so from that point on, uh, once you get, you know, kind of certified or, you know, you, you get the the field training officer to basically sign off on you having your shit together enough to, to roll solo or, or be, you know, uh, a Sig Sauer toting actual cop. Um, what, what did you go through at, at that point? Like from, you know, from the time you started rolling solo, walk us through the, your career up, up until current. All right. So now, so now you're on your own and you're out patrolling. Um, for a couple years, they kind of pick your shift for you. They say, Hey, where do we need this particular manpower? Mine was on midnight shift. They stuck all the new guys on the midnight shift at the time, which was fine. I mean, it, was, it was okay with me. I realized the value of working that particular shift. Um, and then the rest of that is just the more you get involved in stuff, the more you learn. There's a lot of guys out there that kind of like, look, I'm on the street. I'm just going to get through my career. I don't want to get involved in too much shit. I just want to get through my career and be done. Just checking um, the box. Checking the box and being done. But when it comes to, look, you don't get to dictate what kind of calls come in. Yeah. You don't get to dictate what kind of calls you're going to take. You get assigned a call, you're taking that call, and if you haven't had the experience prior to dealing with that, you're gonna fuck it all up, yeah. you know? So as a new police officer, it's important to like get involved with as much shit as you possibly can. Um, and then, cause that's how you learn, yeah. and that's how you're gonna learn. And if you can't find the shit yourself, find a mentor who's out there finding shit and ask questions of them, help them, mm -hmm. you know, come in and help them process, ask them how, how did you get that gun out of that car? How did you find those drugs? What did you do exactly? How did you talk to those people? That's how you're going to learn on your own. Yeah. You could go about your career burying your head in your sand. You don't learn shit, yeah. but 
the more aggressive you are out there, the more you're going to learn, the less likely you're going to screw up later on down the road. You yeah. know? And, and so you went, you initially got on midnights and then how, how many years did you do that before they moved you to a different shift? Um, well, the first few years, they rotate you through every shift okay. to kind of get you exposure to each, yeah. to each shift. And then after that, after I think a couple of years, they were like, okay, you could get to pick your shift. Now, yeah. we're, again, our municipality is very unique in that regard because I know there's a lot of agencies that say, this we don't give a shit what you want. This is the shift you work in. Yeah. You know, yeah. get out there and get to work. Yeah. You know? So after you rotated through, got experience at all, you, you go back to picking midnight space. Oh, yeah. And you've pretty much done that ever since. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Where, if you could, where, where did you and why did you squeeze in the, uh, you know, getting your law degree? Because, uh, you know, if I'm doing the math right, I'm assuming you were there for, what, eight, nine, ten years, somewhere in there, you know, at, at the point with which you got a law degree. What what was kind of the, the drive for doing that? And then how did you do that? Um, how and why did you do that, I guess, during that time? Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. So, uh, so I was hired in 97, and then um, in 99, I finished my bachelor's degree. Um, finally. Mm -hmm. So I, I got my bachelor's degree in business management. Um, and then after that, I'm thinking, okay, that wasn't so bad. Maybe I sh should go get my master's degree. Maybe, you know, what should I do to further my, you know, my education? We'd go to court all the time and I'd sit in court as a police officer and I'd look at the attorneys and be like, I can I fucking, can fucking do, do that. that. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking yeah, I could do that. You know, yeah. it's, it's not that difficult, you know? And then, and then you get in your mind like, okay, well, who makes all the money in the, in the U.S.? Doctors, lawyers, right? They tell you that those are the big professions to get into and, and you're going to make some money and stuff like that. And, well, not necessarily the case. Uh, but again, I'm thinking, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to challenge myself. Again, here's that Marine Corps thinking, you know, but also I didn't really do a lot of like research into it. I just mm -hmm. did, you know, you take your LSAT test and then you get in it and you're so excited that you got accepted to a college for your law degree, I didn't realize the commitment that yeah. would in, it would involve with doing that. Yeah. And probably had I thought about it, I probably would have been like, eh. yeah, you know, because I get a lot of guys that talk to me about it and like, hey, I'm thinking about going to law school. You know, what do you think? You know, and then they think they overthink it and they totally talk themselves right out of doing it. Yeah, I didn't do that. I fucking just did it, thinking, you know what? I'll either gonna sink or swim. Kind of yeah. like jumping in the water and. 
you know, I'm either going to drown or I'm going to swim my way out. Yeah. You know, I'll figure it out once I'm in it. And that's yeah. what I did ultimately, yeah. you know. I mean, to me, it's incredibly impressive given, you know, that, so you're a young father. You got, you know, at this point, two young two kids. Two girls, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a family, you're, you know, working midnights and going to school and get your law degree. I mean, that's a hats off to you on that. I mean, that's an impressive fucking resume. Yeah, what? How, how long did it take you to get it from when you started? Um, it. So if you go to the full-time program, it was three years. You got to commit three years. Um, the part-time program was four, but I went through the summers too. Oh, so okay. I didn't take a break. I just plowed through. So it took me about three and a half years yeah. to wow. get done. What, uh, what benefits, uh, I mean, I, I, I can think of some obvious ones, but uh, you know, talk to the benefits of having a law degree and, and now... Um, you know, you're still an active police officer. You're, you know, working out in the street, responding to calls, et cetera. Um, how big of an influence does having a law degree play in how you respond, how you talk to people? Like, is there a huge... Um, you know, they always say knowledge is power. Yeah. You know, the more knowledge you have, the more confidence you have. Um, and that's probably played a role in how I deal with situations on the street. You yeah. know, um, if you approach some people with that lack of confidence because you don't know what you're doing... People pick up on that. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, a lot of people on the street pick up on the new officer who's sitting yeah. there. You know, first of all, they got all their new shit on. They got yeah. all the new stuff. They and, look like they're you know, 12. They, they look like they're 12. They're talking to people, not looking them in the face. You know, yeah. they don't have that, you know, that confidence that, yeah. you know, that command presence that you, you typically need as a police officer yeah. dealing with certain situations. Yeah. Um, I think that helped me in that regard because now I knew the law. And, you know, I... You know, it's funny because when you deal with a lot of people on the street, they make assumptions about you because of that badge. Sure. You know, the assumption is that we make minimum wage. Yeah. You know, the assumption is we couldn't get a job anywhere else. Yeah. So we became the police. The assumption yeah. is that we became the police because we didn't want to join the military. Yeah. Um, you know, because we got beat up in high school and now we're taking our revenge out on society <laughs> and shit. I mean, yeah. those are the I hear that shit all the time. You know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times that. I get people say, you probably just have a GED, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, yep. I, I don't argue with people. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Fucking, I'm too stupid, yeah. to, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, or, or yeah. I get the guys that former military guys who are now, you know, under arrest and stuff. And they're like, yeah, you fucking became the police because you couldn't get in the military. Probably. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Do that. <laughs> you know, I tried to join the Air Force and I got turned away, you know, what the fuck, you know? So yeah. I don't. People are like, why do you say that? Why don't you just yeah. tell them, like, no, oh, fuck them. I'm not From a de-escalation <laughs> standpoint, that's more effective anyway. I'm not going to chest bump with yeah. people and be like, oh, yeah, well, I was in the Marine Corps. Yeah. You know, and then they're going to be like, well, you're a fucking sellout. Then, right, exactly, you know? right, right. So I'm yeah. not going to chest bump with people. I'm yeah. just going to be like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. I make minimum wage. I'm too yeah. fucking stupid. And yeah, I got yeah. flat feet. I couldn't get in the military. Yeah. So. Do you ever get into any uh, kind of pissing contests, going to court a lot, having a law degree with lawyers? and you know? I, I don't do that. However, um, I've had a few times where I've had to call... Uh, as a supervisor, I've had to call and say, um, hey, this is the way I'm... Re-. So I'll give you an example. We had a, an Uber driver who was... Um, she was an Indian lady. Um, she, wasn't, she wasn't Muslim, which was the assumption from the passenger. Um, he was a drunk guy that got picked up in town and, um, from one of our bars. And he was telling her which way to go. He's like, make a left here. She's like, I can't, sir. I can't make a left here. I got to make a right. So she makes the right, and right away he's dogging her already. You should go back to your fucking country, fucking Muslim, you know, what the fuck? She's like, I'm not even Muslim. Like, what are you talking about, you know? She's speaking perfect English, She's, yeah. you know? And um, he's like going off on her. 
She makes the U-turn, goes back around. He starts hitting the back of her seat, you know, and starts fucking. And she's finally, she pulls over and goes, get, get out. Get yeah. out of my car. He's like, fuck you, I'm not getting out. Starts attacking her, crawls over into the front seat. And, Jesus. you know, she goes running out. She's calling 911. You know, we go flying over there. Um, he ends up getting arrested. I mean, he put his hands on her. Um, it was argue, arguably to what extent he put his hands on her. He said mm -hmm. one thing, she said another. But still, you can't yeah. touch people. It's a battery. Yeah. Done, right? So they hook him. They bring him back to the station. And now it's like, okay, what do we do with him now? I go, he's not getting a simple battery charge. That's a misdemeanor. It's a, it's a minor crime. He'll bond out and be on the street again. I go, what he did is a hate crime. So I pull up the statute, make sure that, you know, because I can't remember all the statutes too. I know attorney, cop, I, I can't remember all that shit either. So I got to look it up and make sure all the elements fit the, pat, the fact pattern here that we have. Um, so I pull it up. I hand it to my guy. I go, we have a hate crime. Once he starts calling a Muslim and all this stuff, and it's based on religion, race, creed, whatever, anything that you do is now a hate crime. So if you have a battery, that elevates it to a felony. Mm -hmm. from a misdemeanor well, why, why is that i mean do you know what the what the and i'm not i'm not justifying his actions by any means or anybody's for that matter but i am curious the the label of hate crime especially in kind of pop culture nowadays gets exercised quite a bit in terms of accusations etc why, why is that so uh, such a jump up inflammatory wise uh you know in, in relation to some other things whether it's drugs or uh, assaults or, or other mm -hmm. things is, is that if it's influenced by what's considered a hate crime, why why is it elevated? Well, I, to protect those those particular people. I mean, it's not. And I, when I say those people, I don't mean like Muslims. I mean yeah. anyone, what, regardless of whether it's based on gender, sexuality, based on you know your perceived race or religion. Um, you know, because not everybody like he perceived her as a Muslim and went. She's yeah. like, I'm not even Muslim. Yeah. But because of that, it elevates that to protect those particular victims. Yeah. I, guess, um, I guess the way I look at it is that, you know, if, if it's wrong, it's wrong. No, no matter whether, you know, if you smack somebody, whether it's because you think they're Muslim or they're an asshole or they're trying, you know, or they right. don't like you. Or, you know, to me, it, it, the, the problem I have with stuff like that is, is the inconsistencies. And you see that a lot in, in our society. I mean, we're, our society is filled with them. But to me, like if it's capable of being a felony for grabbing somebody, then to me, it's like, why isn't it just that way across the board? Well, so the, I, I guess to kind of answer that, it would be, which is why we have a screening process with our state attorneys before they'll approve any felonies. Okay, in order to get a felony approved, you got to screen it with them. They review the facts and make sure that everything is, is on point um, and that you could prove those particular elements. Proving a hate crime is often very difficult because the action or the criminal, um, the criminal action has to be motivated by that bias. Um, yeah. So that's very hard to prove in a lot of cases. Um, you, you go to a church, let's say you go to a synagogue, you know, and you're spray painting whatever, you, you know, die, whatever, you know, yeah. you die Jews or whatever. And that's a hate crime um, because it's based on that religion or it's based on that, you know. Yeah. So that would be elevated based on the statute because yeah. they're protecting people from from those kind of biases yeah. within our society. But they make it very hard to prove. Yeah. So 
so back, back to this, you know, back to the story. So he does something like it's a hate crime. He was based on the perceived. We call the state's attorney. He's like, no, nah, it's just a battery. I'm like, dude, no, it's not. I yeah. go, she's a victim based on these particular facts. You know, her, her perceived race or religion, which he had no idea about. That's what his actions were fueled by because he got in the car and he was normal until he started disagreeing with her. And then when he started calling her all those names and putting his hands on her by calling her those names, it was now a race thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand that. I guess the, and I'm not saying I necessarily have a problem with it, the way that some people may perceive me questioning about it. It's more of a, you know, if I slap somebody, like there's an element of me that, that thinks, or you know, if anybody slaps anybody or grabs them or whatever, to the point where it's a it's a crime. To me, it's like there's an element, in my opinion, of saying, well, if it's irrespective of why they're doing it, it should just be what it is. Like if it's if it's a felony, then it's if it's capable of being a felony, whether mm-hmm. it's because I think he's an asshole or he's this or that. To me, like there's a, there's a certain part of me that just says like, why not just make it all that way? But I, I see what you mean, and I and I get the intention behind it, and I think that's one of the problems. We'll take red flag laws, which we'll get heavy into here in a few minutes, but is similar. Similarly, is that you know the the intention behind the statute is very well intentioned. Sure, absolutely. But you know, there's times where I think it backfires and, and ultimately ends up causing more fucking problems. But uh, oh, Mike, I'll tell you, it doesn't get charged very often. Yeah, because it. Because of that, yeah, it doesn't, and and so we call the state and He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to approve that. Yeah. Now I have to get on the phone and and not argue with them, but I'm like, hey, in our society, in our culture today, with what's going on in the news and everything, do you really want this lady coming forward to the media and saying, hey, this guy attacked me based on his, what he believed I was, and yeah. I'm not. Yeah. And. These officers didn't do anything. They charged him with a battery and, and released them. Yeah. You know, uh, and it was like, do you really need that? You know, you know, and I said, not only that, but let's look at the law here. So you'd asked me if as an attorney, you know, have I had to, you know, uh, yeah. that was one particular case where I did. And after we discussed it a little bit, he's like, you know what, let me call my boss and let me make sure. And they called back and he's like, all right, we're going to go ahead and give it to you. You yeah. know, so this was the district attorney. Yeah, states, yeah. We call them state attorneys, state's but yeah, attorney. a district attorney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think another thing that surprises me and, and maybe most people is that there's that personal judgment call on a on a state's attorney or district attorney in this case where <coughs> it's kind of up to them. Um, you know, and I think that there's there's another potential problem where a lot of other hesitations with certain laws, red flag being one of them, uh, is why there's such a heavy resistance to stuff like that is, is to me, if you if you contrast it and make it a little more black and white, I think, you know, people have a little more faith in the system and then it's not up to the fucking mood that some guy's in. You know, like if, if putting your hands on somebody's wrong, it's wrong no matter why you do it. You know, um, I mean, that's that's my take is that I, I think when it starts being politically motivated, I mean, just like you said, it's like, well, do you want, you know, with everything that's in the news, do you want this person making that stink? I mean, to me, I, the the issue that I, I would take with that is that now, you know, politics and perception and things are influencing how you charge somebody, whether or not you do, to what extent, you know, and I, and I think, you know, that that's a dangerous proposition to, to find ourselves in. But, um, 
I am curious, you know, from a, a policing standpoint, you know, moving forward, you, you get your degree, you continue on nights. What what was your process like in terms of, of attaining rank and, and moving up the structure? Because now you're a commander, right? Yes. It's, if you could break down what that means and, and, the, and the, the steps that you took to, to get to that point. All right. So as um, as you progress in your career, you could go several routes. There's a lot of specialty units that you could get involved in investigations, which would be your detectives. You could get on the SWAT team, um, which is your, your special operations team. Um, we have like a attack unit, which is a plainclothes unit that you can get involved in. I mean, there's a lot of specialty areas. I mean, dealing with the elderly, we have a special you know officer for that. Dealing with the youth, we have a special officer for that. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you could get involved in as you progress in your career. Um, a lot of specialty things, whether it's DUI drug detection or, you know, whatever the case may be with regard yeah. to law enforcement. Um, there's a lot of specialty units you get involved. For me, you know, I got involved with, with our SWAT team, with our TAC unit, and started doing a lot of stuff like that. And you start moving up, basically building your resume for promotion. Yeah. Um, and then with my education also kind of that I'm sure helped out a lot as well. Yeah. Um, and then we have a test to be sergeant. So if you want to be a sergeant, you have to do what's called an assessment center. Um, a, lot of a lot of municipalities do this differently everywhere. Some you take a written test, others you take a written test and do an assessment center, which is basically running you through scenarios. Us, we do just the assessment center and then we do an interview. Yeah. So they run you through scenarios, um, kind of like, like- Like a board almost. Yeah, like, yeah. A, like a merit board, right, yeah. where they sit there. Well. They'll, they'll put you in like certain situations. Like for example, you'll have like a fake roll call or fake briefing and you'll have role players in there and they'll be disruptive. And they wanna see how you handle that oh, as okay. a supervisor with dealing with, you know, the disruptive. Do they actually you know, like officer. mimic those scenarios or they just verbally walk you through that? No, they, they actually really? mimic the scenarios. Yeah. Goddamn Hollywood scene, huh? Yeah, so <laughs> you're, you're basically sitting there doing, you've got your notes in front of you, doing your roll call and you got uh, one of the role players takes out a newspaper in the middle of your briefing and starts reading a newspaper. And you're yeah. like, Hey, dickhead. Hey, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. and then you kind of got to go through that and yeah. kind of like handle the situation, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I, they see all kinds of responses. Supervisor gets up and basically rips the newspaper out of their hands, rolls it up, smacks them across the head yeah. with it, goes and sits like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they, they do all kinds of, you know, they get all kinds of responses based yeah. on that. One of the other ones is dealing with uh, an employee that is getting beefed on. Yeah. First of all, you have to deal with the person coming in to make the beef, you know, make the complaint. You know, this officer did this, did that, did this. Then you have to console that person, figure out what you need to do there, and then you go and deal with the officer. So they kind of do scenarios like mm. that where you're taking the complaint and then dealing with the officer. And you yeah. know, the officer's sitting there like, you know, fuck them. I don't give a fuck what they say. It's not what happened. Come on, you know me. I didn't do that shit. And you got to deal with them. Yeah. You know. Come on, um, bro. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so they do different scenarios like that. They do like a mass uh, scenario where you have like the shit is hitting the fan everywhere. They put a map of the town, you know, behind you, and they're like, okay, this bank was just robbed. You know, the offender's running this way. You know, what do you do? Okay, well, I'm going to move this car here. I'm going to call for backup here. I'm going to do this. Okay, now there was an active shooter at the school at the same time. You're like, 
fuck, now I got to do this. I'm moving this. Now there's an earthquake. Now there's a flying yeah. saucer landing in the middle of town. And you're like, that's Holy a shitty shit, day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like you have to go through all of that. Yeah. And then at the end, they say, okay, where is this guy located at? And you got to run through your head and say, all right, I moved him here and then I moved him there. So you got to have accountability for all your guys are. Yeah. So it's kind of like different scenarios like yeah. that. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's good, good training for sure. And that's to make sergeant. That's to make sergeant. Right. And from sergeant, where does it go to get to commander? Like what's in between that? Um, so after you, you take your assessment center, then they do like interviews and stuff. Like yeah. you meet with the board and they kind of interview you and they kind of do their own little questioning. Like, yeah. like you had said, kind of like, you know, where they kind of just talk to you, yeah. you know, see where your head's at. Um, and then from there, um, if they put you on a list. And then depending on how many, how much movement there is, they'll open up ranks for you, you yeah. know, and you move up as a sergeant. What, what, can you walk through the different ranks from sergeant all the way to commander? Well, like at our particular police department, we're a smaller municipality. We cut, you go from patrolman to sergeant to commander to deputy chief to chief. Yeah, okay. Um, we used to have a lot more ranks, a few more ranks in between there that we've ultimately eliminated yeah. um, for, I mean, save money and, and efficiency. But yeah. you have a lot of departments that have, you know, captains, lieutenants. Yeah. Um, Detectives. You fucking, know, yeah. yeah. I mean. What, uh, how many, uh, what's the, I guess, the population of the town or the municipality that you guys cover and how many police officers are there in your department? We have about a 25 thousand to thirty thousand um nighttime we have we have a large business yeah area um we have a mall we have so our daytime population is a lot more than our nighttime population Would you say like it almost doubles uh i wouldn't say it doubles um uh, but we get you, get you get the people that are that are all at work yeah. you get the the customers that are all there you know the, the yeah. people that are the yeah. public that are out shopping and stuff so our daytime population increases you know, a little bit more than our nighttime population yeah. of the people who actually live there in town. Yeah, and how many uh, cops total are on the force? Um, we have we have 50. 50. So like I said, we're a small municipality. Yeah. yeah. What does that breakdown look like in terms of patrolmen, sergeants, commanders? Because there's, there's only, or, and how many uh, deputy chiefs are there? Um, we we had two, we'd, we have one now. Okay, so there's um, one chief, one deputy go chief. We're probably going to go back to having two. Yeah. Um, deputy chiefs, uh, an administrative one, and then operations one runs patrol. About how many commanders are there? There are, you have one in detectives, you have an administrative commander, you have one on each of the three shifts. So those, you get three, four, five, five. And then the rest are sergeants and patrolmen. The rest are sergeants and patrolmen. What, what are you a commander of? Is it the night shift? The night shift, yeah, okay. the midnight shift, yes. Yeah. And so how many, I mean, how many guys are you having to no shit manage? Um, well, we have overlapping shifts, so that could, you know, some of the afternoon shift guys are on, end up on my shift. Um, so it could be anywhere from four on, on our night shift to eight to 10 total, yeah. depending on what shift you're on and what, you know, yeah. how they're rotating through and stuff, you yeah. know? Okay. Uh, plus our attack unit that's out there if they're you know if they're available yeah any specialty assignments that are out there you yeah know. and what i mean if you if you could kind of synopsize your your management style of those guys and the things that you deal with and the challenges et cetera, what 
what what are you having to deal with in terms of managing them day to day? Like what what are kind of the bi- the bigger problems that you have with them? Some of the bigger problems is that um, probably our biggest problem is that it's probably no different than managing a bunch of kids sometimes. Yeah. Um, she's touching me. He's touching me. Stop touching him. Would you stop touching him? Right? Like well, he's what, touching me. He's, like you know. cop to cop even? Yeah. Oh, well, Jesus. that's what I'm talking about is yeah. that, you know, just, just the stupid guys. Stupid shit. Yeah. Just stupid shit. Yeah. You know, just stuff like, it's like, come on, can we all just get along, please? You know, yeah. probably internally, that's probably the biggest, you know. Problem. You know, and it's, it's, it's not unlike the military where... You know, also you got the rumor mill that goes around, you know, it's like, all right, guys, shut the fuck up, stop yeah. talking, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you got a lot of time, like I told, like we talked about earlier, it was like, I'll get guys coming to me and saying, you know, so-and-so left the squad car dirty. All right, did you say anything to him? Well, no, I'm telling you, you're the boss. Well, I'm going to say the same shit to him that you could say to him. Why don't yeah. you just go to him and tell him, hey, dude, stop fucking leaving the squad car dirty, you know? Well, because <laughs> God, I'm telling you, can you do like something it? about it? I go, I'm going to do the same shit you could do. Yeah. Well, I, you know, come on. What, what are you yeah. really wanting me to do? Yeah. You know, that, that you can't handle. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about is that a lot of you guys are just afraid to say shit to each other. And it's petty bullshit. I'm assuming that when you first came in, that wasn't a problem, right? Um. It, it, or, uh, from my perspective, it didn't seem like it. Yeah. You know, like I said, there were times where I got called up to that locker room and was like, hey, upstairs. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. You know, and then they'll be in my face. Hey, dude, you fucked up. You did this. You did that wrong. You could have you could have got us killed or whatever. And I'm like, OK. Oh, Is that something that you, you can't or don't do with your guys now? Um, I well, <laughs> I, I do it. Yeah. Um, it's not I mean, obviously. The proper way to do it is you want to document everything because if there's more problems down the road, then you have your documentation and then you could take action based on that documentation. Look, it, the, we are a paramilitary organization. It operates a lot like the military. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, within the military, you get in trouble. They want that shit documented in your file because if this trend continues, they have a path that they could follow. Yeah. But we know also that what works sometimes better is that a good fucking ass chewing yeah. and a good ass kicking yeah. goes a lot further than a piece of paper in my file sure. sometimes. No, I agree. Know? I think most times that's the case. Uh, yeah, I think you, you do both, you know, I mean, I, I understand the, the paperwork trail and being able to legal, legally document things, but yeah, on the other side, like there's a, a component that's far more primal and, and pragmatic that's worked uh, since human beings have existed um, with you running, you know, being the program uh, coordinator for, uh, you know, your municipality's um, police academy, what what lessons have you taken from, you know, the one that you went through and where it was lacking and, and you know, how long is it now and, and what, uh, what are kind of some highlights of what you focus on to, to help bridge that gap of teaching them as much as possible during that, uh, that time in today's day and age? So now in Illinois, the, the police academy is 14 weeks for the suburban academy, for the suburban police departments. Um, again, CPD runs their own academy, and it's a lot longer. I, think, I want to say like 26 weeks or something wow. like that. Why is but there such a disparity? I, I, don't, I don't know, um, but they do a lot of their own in-house stuff that we can't do because we do general. Okay. Um, so they kind of do a lot of their general law enforcement you know, stuff to kind of get them up to speed. And then they do their focusing because they have them in-house already. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure a lot of that is that. Here's how we do it in Chicago. Yeah. You know, 
for us, it's all general. It's, um, you know, they give us, a, the state gives us a curriculum that we have to follow and they give us 14 weeks to cram that all in there. Now yeah. we do a lot more scenario training because that's important, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you understand the value of that, you know? Um, so we try to squeeze that in as much as possible um, to get them acclimated to the real world, mm-hmm. you know, the real policing world when they get out there. Yeah. So you wake up tomorrow and now you're, you know, in charge of making whatever changes you want. You know, tomorrow you're the fucking governor or whatever positional authority you would need to to make the academy, you know, however you want it. What changes would you make given Oh, definitely no more scenario training. We have the biggest request that we have and the biggest, the, where I see the biggest value is, for example, we have what's called Vertrons, 360, you know, basically shooting, you know, scenarios, mm-hmm. film all the way around you. Um, we, I, so when I'm at the academy training the officers during range week, um, we take, we do breakout groups and I'll take some of them into this scenario room where they do videos. We'll start off with basic one screen videos of decision-making. Um, and then I'll run them through the decision-making aspect of that. It'll be a bunch of different shoot, don't shoot scenarios that will unfold in front of them. After that, we break that down and we have discussions on that. Like, why did you not shoot? Why did you shoot? Why didn't you take cover when you were supposed to take cover? Why didn't you give commands? What, you know, we'll go through that. There's not necessarily a right or wrong answer with that, but I want them to be able to justify and articulate why they took a certain action because I want them thinking about what they're doing. Then the following week, we'll take them in there and we'll do the 360 scenario where it's more dynamic, where things are unfolding very rapidly for them and where they took the training that they had the previous week and they do it this week. Okay. After we're done with that, they're always like, sir, are we going to do this more? We need more of this. And I'm like, I agree. We may not have the time to do this anymore because what it is, is they sit in the classroom most of the time and they listen to the stories of the officers telling them, you know, you know, you get on the street, you're going to make this type of traffic stop. Here's how you're going to do it. Here's, you know, step one, step two, step three, step four. And they're in class going, okay, okay, okay. I want to get out there and do this. Yeah. Once they start doing it, they're like, holy shit, there's a lot to think about here. Yeah. So my feeling is the more they do that, the more exposure they get to doing that, the better they'll get at doing it. They'll be able to cycle through this, you know, the biggest thing we talk about is like, you know, Boyd's OODA loop. You know, we, we grow through that with them. Observe, orient, decide, and act. And the quicker you could cycle through that, the quicker you could defeat your enemy. And we use that model at the police academy. And we say, all right, look, you have to think through this very quickly because shit unfolds pretty quickly on the street. And you have to make a decision. And you are responsible for every decision that you make on the street. Yeah. They are very slow at doing that initially, you know? And like I said, being a trainer yourself, I mean, you see that with guys that are new. They're not thinking as quickly. They're not thinking as dynamically because they don't have that experience. So the more exposure they get to that, the better they become at it. That's what I would add to the academy probably the most is to do that. Yeah. Well, so uh, it's it's an interesting uh, point you bring up and, and you see, you know, whether it's through the media or just, you know, social media or whatever, 
is, you know, a lot of talk about, you know, more training for police officers. I mean, pretty much every time some shitty scenario happens, whether it's a bad shoot or it looks like it. Sure. You know, obviously context plays a huge role. And a lot of times that context is lacking in a lot of these video clips that the media blasts out there to, you know, maybe angle a, a certain agenda. But um, would you say that, you know, that's the single most important element that, that, all police officers need more of to, to mitigate some of the... the Absolutely. Exposure. Ex yeah. And this is what I was saying earlier on about when you're learning the job, the more exposure, the more, you know, the more exposure you have to the job, the more, the better you'll start thinking about these things. Um, you'll be able to cycle through this stuff a lot better. Um, you'll get more experience and then you can make decisions quicker. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, I think a lot of people kind of, shy away from getting involved with that. I, they're afraid to make mistakes. They're afraid to fuck up. They're afraid to look stupid. You're afraid, to, you know, and I'm like, look, this is where you want to make your mistakes. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, why is there not more of that nationwide? It, I, I, yeah, time, money. Yeah. I mean, but, that's that's yeah. probably the biggest thing yeah. is time and money. And to me, that's one of those examples. You know, it's a case of if you got time to, to do it, you either have time to do it right or time to do it again kind of thing. Like, you can't afford not to have your guys boned up as, as best as possible. You would think so. But when you come to training budgets and financing that, it's like, where's the money going to come from yeah. to do this? Where's the time going to come from? You know, and there's a lot of guys that work at even smaller departments than I'm at that that's probably the only training they're going to get yeah. unless they seek it out themselves. Mm -hmm. Their departments just don't have the budgets to, you know, to get them the training that they need. Yeah. So, that's the only training they're going to have unless they go and pay for it themselves and, and seek it out, yeah. you know? I'm curious what your take is on a, a federal, both statute and funding program for something like that. To me, there's, just like with most things, there are, you know, there is a double-edged sword to that. And, you know, anytime you federally mandate something because what is going to be appropriate for somewhere like where you're at versus, you know, L.A. proper you know, or things of that nature. Do you think that, uh, that there's room for that? Does it make sense? Is that something that, you know, again, if, if the president called you tomorrow and said, hey, I'm going to put you in charge of, uh, you know, police nationwide, and mm -hmm. I want you to come up with some federally mandated statutes that apply to everybody, is there a, a mandate, a statute that you think should go down like well, that there nationwide? Is, there, there is in Illinois. We do have a statute in Illinois that requires you to have certain training every year. Yeah. Continuing education but things basically but it's not federally mandated and it's not yeah. very consistent that the training that we get yeah well so that's the thing that i think you know i, I know i i question or or i think potentially plagues our our society's law enforcement i mean for those listening at least the the numbers that i've seen is that there's right at about a million police officers in this country you know and there's such a fucking disparity i mean it's almost like crossfit gyms like you go to some crossfit gyms that are super dialed in crazy knowledgeable Absolutely. coaches awesome attendees you know whatever and then you go to some other ones you're just like how the fuck are you guys a franchise you know right but it, it seems like there's kind of an element with that with some police departments too and i get budgets are you know are, are a, big, a big factor with that but that's what i mean like do you think that there should be a federal program that says if you're a fucking police officer in this country you know, there is a, a federally funded and mandated, you will go through at least this much. Do you, do you think that that's a good idea or do you see problems with doing something? Well, like I think that? I see problems with doing that because look, you got to think about this. You got people that, you know, California is 
totally different than the rest of the country. Yeah. You know, um, and they're, you know, they're public handles things differently. Look at the shit that's going on in New York right now um, with, with some of that, you know, and I think that it would be very hard to say that, you know, this is an all across the board training mandate that you have to follow, you know, especially when, as I said, there's a lot of municipalities that have a certain culture within their department that, you know, we handle a certain situational different than other people handle their situations. Yeah. And just the laws in and of itself, you know, you have the Ninth Circuit out in California who, you know, sometimes is, you know, you wonder what kind of decisions they're making out there, you know, versus the Seventh Circuit in Illinois that, you know, where, you know, you have a more, although not necessarily super conservative approach, it's a lot more you know, more conservative than, yeah. than it is out in California, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you kind of wonder those decisions too. And you got the laws, you know, where it's, you know, in California, it would be, you know, illegal to do a certain thing. It may not be illegal in Illinois or New York or yeah. in Texas for sure, you know, for sure, yeah. for sure. You know, yeah. so, um, yeah. so you got those requirements too. So for the feds, you know, for it there to be a federal statute to say, this is how it's going to be across the board. I think it would be very difficult to, to mandate that with the different laws, you know, yeah. affecting each. Yeah, I mean, with in reference to the Ninth Circuit, I think Obama as a judge would be conservative by Ninth, ninth Circuit standards. Yeah, yeah you know? totally. You um, know. And, I, and I certainly understand that, you know, each state, there's a lot of things that are different. I mean, Texas, as an example, I'll, I'll prove it here on YouTube real quick. Keep my muzzle discipline. This is legal <laughs> in Texas. Right. right. If, if you came sure. across something right. like that in Chicago, that would not be legal, correct? No. Right. You, like you'd get, I'd be up shit creek with something well, like that, right? right? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the the question is, and for those well, of you, we have concealed carry. I mean, yeah, but, but I mean, but it's, it's way harder strong. to yes. get it, you know, um, and even where you can carry is different. So I guess you know, my question lies then is that. You know, again, it, it's it's a bit of a national problem. Some of it is because of the 24-hour news cycle and, and the fact that, you know, so many occurrences or exchanges between a cop and a civilian all over the country are available that fast to everybody. You know, so right. that, that makes it difficult to, you know, do the square peg in a round hole if it's, well, this is this society or this part of society versus that one. Is there anything that you could offer that you would recommend if, if, again, you were in charge federally that you would be able to say, we at least need to do this for everybody to, to give some kind of consistency? Because it seems like there is, even though I understand why there are inconsistencies, is there a, a, a component that you could add that would, that would help mitigate some of the, the lack of training problems that seem to be somewhat prevalent? Well, there's some, there's some national training courses and stuff that that you can take that are pretty consistent across the board mm -hmm. um again you'd have to first understand the dynamics of how this all comes down meaning you have your u.s supreme court rulings okay and you could take a any u.s supreme court ruling and you could read those and kind of interpret it your way and you have to think about it this way you have nine justices who can't even decide yeah. Which is you you have how often do we have four to five decisions, you know, you know, split or almost split, you know, kind of making these decisions because and these are supposed to be the smartest people in the country that yeah. can't agree on that. How yeah. are you gonna get the rest of the nation to agree yeah. on training? Because once they come out with those cases and they filter down, now it's it's up to me, let's say, to interpret how I wanna train 
this particular case. So I'll read the fact pattern, I'll read the law as is associated with that fact pattern, and I'm gonna interpret it based on my training and experience, which is a lot different than other people's training and yeah. experience who are interpreting it. I could get a bunch of police officers in the same room yeah. from the same municipality, and we'd still disagree on our interpretation of the law. Yeah. That's why it'd be very difficult you know, in theory, yeah, you could probably sit there and say, all right, we're gonna train this way across the board. It will never happen because everybody has their interpretation of how they're gonna train based on their training and experience and yeah. how they're going to regurgitate that information in, yeah. in a training environment. Yeah. And that would differ, I mean, like I said, within a department, we, we get into arguments about, well, what does this mean exactly? And what does that mean exactly? Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, you can't get nine Supreme Court justices to agree, and they're the smartest people in the country, yeah. supposedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, right. Well, so, I mean, what, what is the, uh, the answer then? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you bridge the gap of what's going on now where, where there are instances, or is it just, you know what, it's such a small percentage, it seems like it's more because they're highlighted more. I understand that, you know, if you look at the amount of exchanges between police officers and civilians in a day, it's hundreds of thousands, you know, if, if not millions. Well, I think, I think for the most part, for the most part, our police officers in the U.S. are probably the most, the best trained that they probably ever have been with, with the case laws, with everything else, there's more requirements on police officers. Some have to have, you know, some municipalities, you have to have a bachelor's degree before you're even hired. Yeah. So in our time, we probably have the smartest, most trained police officers that we've probably ever had. I think now is now educating maybe the rest of society with how we're doing stuff. And then that way we can have an understanding where we bridge that gap. Yeah. So, and I'll give you an example. So I do a lot of use of force um, training for civilians, meaning I help them understand why we do what we do. Um, and what, I get a lot of feedback from them saying, now I get it, you know, now I understand. If you watch some of these like, these Dateline shows or news medias where they're going out to the police departments and then they run them through the scenarios. Oh, it's and, classic. And then they're like, holy shit, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. yeah. It's the same concept. I think yeah. once people get put themselves in, in our shoes mm -hmm. as police officers confronting a danger, I think that then changes their perspective as to why we do what we do. Yeah. One of the most I think one of the most important things that we do within our department is we, we have a Citizens Police Academy. Um, we actually have one starting up soon where we kind of educate our citizens as to why their police department does things this way, okay? We invite them in, we kind of run them through like a mini academy. They get use of force training, constitutional law training, you know, criminal law training, um, all this, and it's kind of condensed and it's more, sugar-coated than I would do at the academy, but it gives them a good understanding as to what exactly is going on with their police department. Now when they see our officers, they know we're not just driving around the cars like, yeah. you know, I'm gonna stop you. What's the first thing that you do when, you know, the police officer gets behind you? Like, oh shit. Speed. See, you know, yeah, to, flee, you know, flee. To drive faster, Try, right? Trying to get them to spike strip um, you. But, you. but even, you know, you get in the car and people are like, oh my God, what you doing? What they don't know is that we're probably in the car jamming out to some tunes, not even paying the fuck attention to what's going on, <laughs> oh, you know, waiting for the next call, you know? Yeah. And, but they're in their car going, oh yeah. shit, they're trying to slide their seatbelt on yeah. secretly. And it's like. Putting the gun under the seat. Right. And we're like, yeah. not even paying it. So. 
I, I think once we bridge that gap uh, with the rest of society and yeah. they have a better understanding of why we do what we do, yeah. I think that would help um, with, 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 you know, being criticized so badly in the media. Yeah. And, and that's the other problem is the media itself portraying the evil police officer. I mean, yeah. but what sells? Oh, they yeah. show that five second clip of the officer thrashing somebody, but they don't show you what led up to that. Yeah, the 19 minutes before that where he almost min- killed 14 yeah, people yeah, that's and exactly you know, right, ran a because, kid over and, yeah. And that's the thing, is that they'll show that five second clip and everybody will watch the news and go, holy shit, look at that, look, there the cops are at it again, yeah. you know, but they don't show what led up to that. Yeah. And if it's an officer-involved shooting, what do they do? They show the kid's eighth grade fucking picture. Yeah. yeah. You know, where, yeah. oh, he was going to be a doctor or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> bullshit. But they don't show his current picture yeah. where he's on his Facebook page holding a gun with gang tattoos all over his neck. Yeah. You know, they don't show that picture. They show his eighth grade photo where he's dressed up and he's like, yeah. you know, smiling. And, and then what they do is they, they show the officer's picture at his, you know, yeah. and how do we fucking smile? We're like, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, don't. especially my picture. Every fucking picture yeah. of me is like yeah. the same. And I got a pissed face. off look. Well, no, when I, if I ever get involved in a situation, I want my picture like serious holding a Bible, like smiling (laughs) with the light shining down on me and shit, you know, like I'm an angel. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you bring up a really uh, good and interesting point in that, uh, you know, maybe the the paradigm needs to be shifted in terms of how our society understands the police and, and why they do what they do. And there's a, a huge parallel with dog training that way in that, you know, the, the best dog trainers in the world uh, have an uncanny ability to project and put themselves in the dog that they're working with shoes and not their own. You know, and, and there's a, a really important component to that. And that, you know, it's one thing I, I've spent, you know, a, a way more time with cops than, than most people have. Um, and one of the things that I've certainly learned, and even, you know, being on active duty overseas in the military, there's a lot of similarities with, you know, how you're portrayed and, and, you know, the response to you in, in relation to the general population and things like that is that, you know, un- understanding what you guys go through is, is a huge and important part of what our society really needs. Because, you know, agreed, like I've seen a number of those, like, you know, local affiliate do- does some, you know, use of force and, and scenario based, uh, you know, simulation training mm-hmm. with, with sim rounds, you know, paintball round type stuff. And and putting them, you know, in these situations that cops are faced with every day. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people forget or they don't realize is that, you know, when, when your interaction is only or generally only with people that are fucking up or have ill intentions or doing something wrong or, or hate you or, you know, interact with you in, in that manner, um, you know, or, or, you know, a shift ago, somebody fucking pulled a pistol out when you were walking up to the window and started gunning your ass down like that that has a pretty significant impact on you. And I, and I think, you know, my, my point in bringing that up with not, not just people needing to understand what you guys go through and and what it's like being in your shoes, you know, but also the the understanding that, that that's what, what your day to day life is, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and I think that, that, you know, by putting them through those, you know, those types of situations and, and helping them understand that, uh, I think would go would go a really really long way in trying to mitigate a lot of this crap. Uh, what what do you think is an effective way to to get that out to the population? Um, well, first of all, your population has to be willing to accept that information. Um, you know, 
and we talked about stereotypes initially, you know, early on, it was, you know, I think society has their own stereotypes of how police officers are, you know, um, they don't look at us as, you know, people that have families, people look, I, but here's, I want to start my day. I want to ease into it just like anybody else at their job. I want to get my cup of coffee. I want to bullshit with the guys and girls at work, you know, and then, then I want to hit the street and then kind of look, I, I hit the street and I'm like, okay, I want to go hunt for the bad guys. I don't want to stop the soccer mom who's, you know, driving a little fast to pick up her kid because she's late to pick up her kid at the daycare and she got bitched out already, you know, yeah. one time for being late. Yeah. That's not who I'm looking for. It, yeah. it really isn't. Most police officers, that's not what they were out there doing. I want to ease into my day just like anybody else. I'm hoping that, hey, I'm hoping, okay, today I don't have to pull my gun on somebody. I'm yeah. hoping that... You know, do I want to make my arrest? Absolutely. Am I mandated to? Nope. And yeah. if I don't make any, okay, that's fine. There's, yeah. a, you know, a, a, there's always tomorrow. So I think society has to be willing to accept that their police officers are human beings. We're normal people, just like everybody else. We're not robots. Yeah. We're not the Terminator, you know, silver guy, yeah. like storming Robo after. Yeah, Robocop yeah. or anything. When That's not... That's not us. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, that makes me think of another point that, uh, you know, we live in a society where we tend to set our own standards and criteria too high in, in certain areas in that, you know, especially when it comes to liability, safety, mistakes, things like that at, at you know, with corporate America tending to drive a lot of our societal protocols mm -hmm. is that, you know, it's... Well, then, you know, if, if there's an accident, well, we need more safety briefs or we need more safety protocols or whatever. And, and to me, you know, again, I don't know the exact percentages, but I know it's excruciatingly low. If you look at, you know, the, the number of interactions, cop to civilian and the ones that, that a cop makes a bad fucking call, it's I mean, it's a fraction of a percentage. Oh, it's very minor. You know, so how much of that is is, hey when you have a million police officers out there interacting with 330 or 40 million people, like there are going to be some mistakes made. I don't give a fuck what you do. You know, like there's a certain element of, of there's no amount of training or preparation or mitigation or protocols or safety briefs or fucking use of force scenario training, mm -hmm. you know, that are going to mitigate every single fucking thing out right. there. And I, and I think that's probably an unrealistic expectation with a lot of our, you know, police critical politicians in this country would sure. you agree absolutely yeah. because i think everybody has their own mind of how they're supposed to be and they try to put that all in a vacuum and say this is how this situation should be handled and every situation yeah. thereafter knowing that uh, us knowing that not every situation is the same yeah. i you know i'm gonna have to react differently to certain things you yeah. know um uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. You know, and we were talking earlier about, like, national training. You know, the other issue with that is that you have so many guys trying to make a name for themselves, you know, with selling their particular brand or their particular product. Yeah. And you have a lot of use-of-force trainers out there. And, and I'll give you an example because I use this at my assistant police academy when I'm trying to explain how a police officer is supposed to make a decision. There's a use-of-force continuum. You know, and it's color coded and says, if this happens here, if an offender acts this way, the officer's gonna act this way. If this person acts this way and escalates it, then this person acts that way. What they're trying to do is place that in a vacuum and say, step one, step two, step three. Life doesn't work like that. Yeah. You could go from here to there in a fraction of a second. Yeah. Now, add that to all these trainers that are coming out and now come up with their own little color coded chart. 
oh, you know, you should follow this color-coded chart because it explains it a little bit better, or this use of force continuum, or this use of force continuum. Now you've got 10 different charts that an officer is supposed to follow to use force. Probably the most, you know, traumatic thing that they're going to do in their career is to either shoot somebody or kill somebody. Yeah. And we're trying to put that all in a vacuum type, you know, picture. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. That's why the decision-making training is the, the best because it gets them thinking about what they need to do in this case, what I need to do in that case, you know? And what I need to do with our, and what I do with our recruits is I challenge them further to push that envelope in training. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't push that envelope in training, you're not gonna know what you're capable of doing on the street in real life. Yeah. I want you to push to failure at training and understand what your limits are or what you need to work on before you get on the street and, yeah. and actually face that situation. Yeah. So you mentioned use of force. So I'll bring up a, a note that I have written down that I wanted to, to ask you about and, to, and get into is that, you know, we'll take one of the more popular cases in the last few years was uh, the, the guy, Eric Garner in New York City. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with that one. Sure. The, the cop that put him in the chokehold just recently was fired. And, and there's a couple of questions I want to dig into with that is just, you know, before I kind of give you, you know, my thoughts on it, I, I would like to get your opinion on that case specific because it's so well known so that we can kind of use that as, as a, as a case example. Um, what, what is your take on that entire thing? Okay. So here's, I, I get asked a lot of questions with regard to use first. And first I'll give the caveat that Unless I am in that officer's shoes, it is very hard for me to say what I would do or what the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do in that case. It, it's very hard to do that unless you are in that particular situation at that time dealing with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I don't think that I don't think he got the support that he should have gotten. Uh, from his administration, which is very important when it comes to a liability issue or use of force case. Um, I, I think that could have been explained. Um, I think that could have been, you know, justified. Do you um, think what he did was a mistake or do you think that he acted wrong? I, I don't think he acted wrong. Again, it, it, it's really hard to say yeah. because uh, unless you're in those shoes. So for and, and not only that, but they have, again, different rules as they apply there. So if I were to say, let's take that exact situation, put that in Illinois, and now I'm in, in those shoes, okay? Mm. Um, you are not allowed to choke anybody in Illinois. We have a statute that you cannot choke anybody. You can't restrict their breathing. You could put other holds on them that restricts their blood flow that can the past knocks them out. So you could but do it like an MMA style rear naked choke. Exactly. But you have to be trained in that in order to do that. Because if you're not and you end up restricting their airflow, now you're back up to having a problem with that. Okay. Yeah. So if he was trying to restrict the guy's, you know, blood and have him knock out, okay, we could, we could justify that. And yeah. we could say that, you know, this it shouldn't have happened. It was unfortunate, but... You know, the guy was resisting and you are allowed to use force until he stops resisting. Um, in their minds, the guy's like, I can't breathe. But as long as he's talking, he's breathing. So in the, in the dynamic of it, as it's going, you're sitting there trying to put, a, a, you know, trying to restrict his blood flow, trying to get him to stop resisting the arrest. And in the meantime, he's going, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And you're thinking in your mind as you're doing that, 
well, fuck, if he's talking, he's breathing. How mm. could he, you know? Or if he's so, still resisting. Or if he's still resisting. So I just need to put it a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter. Now the guy goes unconscious and ends up dying. It, it's an unfortunate event, okay? Is it one that this guy should have been terminated over? I, I don't know. I don't know all the background to yeah. that. It's, it, again, it's very hard to say. He didn't get the support that he needed, but I understand the political culture you know, at, you know, at NYPD yeah. right now. Um, but not knowing the internal workings, uh, not knowing this guy's, the, you know, the officer's history mm -hmm. um, with use of force. I mean, I don't know if there was a, you know, a history with that. I mean, those are mm -hmm. all factors that come into play. So it's very yeah. hard for me to give, you know, an yeah. opinion on whether he did something yeah. that he did was right or wrong, other than kind of breaking it down like we did and playing the what if game. Yeah. You know, what if that, what if this? So I guess know? if, if uh, let's say again, tomorrow, Magic Wand, you're in charge of, of Illinois' hands-on police statutes or, you know, rules, limitations, et cetera. Do you agree with the no choke policy in terms of uh, a, a, a individual resisting arrest? Um, well, okay, so you have your passive resistance and you have your active resistance. You know, your passive resistance is just somebody trying to avoid getting arrested. Active resistance is somebody who's actually fighting you, you know, to harm you to try not to get arrested, you know. So, so you have to have that distinction initially. Mm -hmm. um, and this goes true with any kind of use of force. If I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm going to die, then as far as I'm concerned, it's on. Anything, fuck, I've never been trained in knocking somebody out with a rock, but I'll fucking grab a rock and knock the shit out of you if I think I'm going to die, <laughs> yeah. okay? And you could bring me to court and say, hey, he's never been trained with the use of that rock. I don't give a shit, I was about to die. Yeah. I'm not going to die, so now I'm, I'm justifying that level of force even though I've never been trained in that. Mm -hmm. Can we say, oh yeah, I'm gonna allow chokeholds? I, I don't. No, I think the situation would dictate because even though they've outlawed the chokehold, if I'm going to die and that's the only thing that I can do to save myself, fuck, I'd rather be fired working at Walmart and alive than yeah. dead, Yeah. you know, yeah. because I didn't take the measures that I needed to to preserve my life or somebody else's life. Yeah. Well, so two things. I think I, I agree in that, you know, when it comes to an active resist, you know, and they're swinging at you or, you know, trying to choke you or, or whatever, like to me, that's pretty cut and dry, like all bets are off, fair game, right, everything's right, fair game. Absolutely. Where I think you can run into trouble is, is passive versus not. And, and, you know, again, just kind of sort of playing devil's advocate on all sides here, just trying to be objective, I guess would be a better way to phrase that is that, you know, if I'm putting myself in, the, in this specific instance where, you know, again, I wasn't there, same as you, but dude's twice my size, that's a factor, absolutely. You know, and, and the fact is, like, for, for anybody that's never been in a fight, you don't get an opinion. Right. And that's number one. Like, if you've never been punched in the face, you've, ne you've never been in a fight in your life, like, your opinion basically is fucking useless, mm -hmm. you know, when right. it comes to stuff like this. But there is a stark difference when you're trying to grab somebody that's a lot bigger and a lot stronger in terms of your adrenaline and, and the, the fear level that's going to be, you know, brimming in, in your mind at that point. And that's where that gray area, it's like... Well, he wasn't swinging at you. 
okay, but you know, I also know that even if this guy falls on me on the concrete, I'm probably going to break my fucking pelvis, right. you know, or like there's a lot of little nuances oh, there, absolutely. you know, just like, you know, when you're doing bite work training with dogs, there's so many things you feel and experience and, and exchange with that dog when you're the one in the suit that even the handler standing there two feet away doesn't see, doesn't mm-hmm. feel whatever that, that exists when you're grabbing somebody. Uh, that, that's where I think it's, it's hard to, you know, to make that contrast or, or have a, a statute that you can say, yep, you did this. So that was wrong or whatever in that heat of the moment. Like you don't know if the dude's got a knife in his fucking waist or a gun or, you know, whatever fucking, or if he's going to bite you. You know, I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong and I agree. I don't think he got, uh, the backing of the police. One of the things that my opinion on on this case and and a lot of cases like it that I want to throw your way that I don't really ever hear anybody talking about that is is my biggest heartburn with all of this stuff like this um, is that we as a society have a lot of fucking rules you know for a free country we sure have a lot of fucking rules right. mm-hmm. and that being in my opinion one of the most clear cut and classic examples of it's not the cop's fault. It's, I mean, if you want to point the finger at somebody, point the finger at legislators who made selling single cigarettes a fucking cr- a crime. <laughs> right. Right. Be- because to me, like, here, you know, I, I like to oversimplify everything because I think life is complicated enough. Um, is that, you know, to me, you, sh- you really should look at every single law in this country as one simple thing is that if doing it, uh, you know, is is deemed as being illegal. It it needs to be worth somebody losing their fucking life over, because it very well may come to that. And that is a classic example of that: is that a guy lost his life for something really fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, irrespective of whether you want to blame the police officer or or the guy for resisting, or it's it's some of both of their fault. The fact is, is that if you're saying you can't sell fucking single cigarettes and you're saying, hey, you as a cop, you go enforce the law, that's a shitty fucking scenario to put people in. And and to me, there are so many little things that get so blown out of proportion like that, that that you don't really ever hear talked about. It's always let's blame the fucking cop or Mm -hmm. let's blame the fucking criminal or whatever. And it's like, well, who the fuck made that illegal in the first place? Why don't we talk to that asshole? What uh, what is your take on those types Um, of policies? Well, from a police officer standpoint, I don't necessarily mind the smaller rules and laws, okay? In Illinois, because I can only speak to Illinois, I, the, the state gives me the justification to use discretion. Um, that's a pretty big, powerful thing that I have, is to use my discretion, which means I could decide how and if I'm even going to deal with that petty offense or am I going to be like, you know what? It's a minor thing. Fuck it. It's not worth it. Here's what dictates that is the guy who's actually getting taken into custody. How about you just don't fucking resist arrest and you submit to my authority and then we'll deal with it afterwards. Okay. Whether you need to sue me for a wrongful arrest or whatever the case may be, society gives you that power to sue me or to get, you know, reparations for any wrong that I've committed towards you. How about you utilize that? rather than fighting with me on the street because things could go a lot more simpler and smoother if you just say, all right, I I was doing whatever I was doing wrong. And I'll give you an example. We have a simple, what would be arguably stupid ordinance for parking over the sidewalk, okay? You can't do it. It's against the law. 
Most people would be like, that's a fucking stupid law. Who gives a shit? Okay. And you're right. For the most part, it is. But there's an actual case in Illinois where you had guys parked on the apron over the sidewalk. We had an officer going up to there. They were up to no good. And that officer used it as his justification to detain them and investigate further more criminal activity that led to some a bigger arrest. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens. If you go back to the 70s, you know, you had a parking ticket caught the son of Sam. You know, you had yeah. a minor bullshit thing that you would normally think that's a fucking parking ticket. Who cares? But guess what? It caught the son of Sam, you know, and it's like, yeah. so, yeah, you could sit there and say that, yeah, we have all these rules and we should be following. But look, the biggest thing is whether people are willing to submit to the police authority or not. And if you fight the police, then you escalate that, not me. And as a police officer, I have the discretion to say, okay, am I going to enforce parking over the sidewalk or am I going to be like, eh, it's, that's not important. I'm going to go find something more serious. Yeah. I mean, so you got a lot of factors there as well. And so it's hard to even place that in a vacuum to say, you know, oh, well, the legislators shouldn't be like coming up with stupid little laws because sometimes those stupid little laws lead to bigger things yeah. that save a lot of lives. Yeah, I'm I, I'm not naive to that, um, and I I certainly understand what you're saying, and I think you know, fuck, even as a parent, you use discretion in a very similar fashion. Absolutely, you know, yes. Where I, where I think that uh, it causes a lot of problems, and and I'm not saying that that I have the answer, or fuck, there, maybe there isn't a, a right answer. Is that you know where where there's a disgruntled nature with uh, society as it relates to, to towards police officers is, is I think how that discretion is used yes, absolutely. And, and, and when and with who and why, you know, and totally. so, you know, to me, like I, I get it, but that comes with a big fucking price, you know, yes, that, it does. That, that I wonder if there's an element that, that almost makes it not worth it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know that maybe there's no right answer because it, you know, that's a pro and con issue just like with anything, but it's, it's an interesting perspective. And again, it just, you know, to me, when I, when I look at that, that that's an element that I think is at least worth talking about that you just don't hear a lot of, you, you know? know, it's always like, well, it's either the cop's fault or it's this guy's fault, yes. you know? And it's like, well, what about, you know, let's look at some other contributing factors that mm-hmm. may be part of the problem, you know? Right. But, now, again, I don't know, what some of the background to their tobacco laws are yeah. or anything like that. But yeah. I mean, for us, I mean, if you park over the sidewalk, yeah. it's because people can't walk by on the sidewalk. They have to walk into the street. And so you have, okay, now you're putting people in danger because they're walking yeah. in the street. Again, yeah. minor, or, or being in the park after dark, yeah. a minor offense. But again, that allows the police officer to detain and investigate further f- additional criminal activity. Yeah. If there's no criminal activity, hey, have yeah. a nice day. Look, you can't park over the sidewalk. My discretion is that I'm going to let you off with a warning and send yeah. you on your way. And I, and I get that, you know, again, the, the benefits to being able to do that and it leading to things, you know, can be abused just like anything else. Absolutely. And uh, it does get abused. Look, well, I'm not naive to that either. Well, it, yeah, and I, It does I, get abused because, trust me, there are a lot of police officers yeah. who got their ass kicked in high school and now yeah. they're, you know, you now they got like the badge. You look like the guy fucked with me. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, trust me, they, we get that too. Look, there's there's... Any profession, you got your small element of bad, you know, who shouldn't be in that particular profession. Yeah. And that's with any profession, you know, it's like. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that discretion piece is, is a set of, of dots that are easy to connect for, you know, that, that public's perception of, of where you get into, into the racial profiling type stuff or hate crime stuff on, on either side, you know, mm-hmm. where. Uh, you know, where that's the case. And so, uh, you know, again, you could spend hours talking about it. But, you know, to me, the biggest thing is is trying to look at it from from every side and, and trying to 
you know, take into account as many factors as possible with stuff like that. And it's just one that, again, you don't, you don't hear. And, and you're right. And here's the thing is that there may not be an answer to that. I mean, it may be more of, hey, let's sit down, let's discuss these things and figure it out, you know, as we go. And they, like you said, there may not be an answer to it. I don't know. Look, I don't know everything, and I don't know what the right answer would be. Yeah. Um, but you'd have to have a sit-down discussion first, figure it out. You know, here and here's the thing. I mean, I'm sitting here saying like I'm clubbing people with rocks and shit like that. Yeah. I'm not out there clubbing, so don't try to use this like in my lawsuit. You know, saying he fucking said he was going to hit somebody with a rock. Look, yeah. I'm just I was using it as an example, and but you said something that's very important, and that's being able to articulate why you're doing what you're doing and when. When you sit there and you kind of said, you know, this guy, you know, size, strength, you know, those kind of matchups, you have to take that all into consideration. A lot of police officers don't get in trouble for what they do. They get in trouble for not being able to justify it or being too lazy to justify it, you know? We always say, you know, uh, I don't know where, I I had heard this and I kind of use this in my training now, but it's CYA, CYA. Not cover your ass, but can you articulate yeah. why you did what you did? Yeah. You know, justify to me why you did that. Yeah. Step one, step two, step. I want to hear you tell me you were in fear of your life. That's the other thing. We get police officers like, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't. Motherfucker, you better have been afraid <laughs> to be, you know, tell me you were afraid. Yeah. Just cut the macho bullshit. You want to go home and stare at yourself in the mirror, fucking puffing your chest out yeah. with your fucking naked with your gun belt on saying how badass you are. <laughs> how many times have you done that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, if you want to. Yeah. Well, was Vaseline involved was, or no? Um, yeah. um, but if you want to do that in private, fucking do it all day long. Yeah. But when you're justifying what you're doing, you better be able to say, I yeah. was in fear of losing my life. Yeah. That's why I did what I did. Yeah. Now articulate it from there. Why were you in fear? Well, yeah. the motherfucker got out of his car. His hands were clenched. He's sweating profusely. He had no shirt on. It's the middle of January in yeah. Illinois. Okay. So I believed he, I reasonably believed he was on drugs. Yeah. You know, he was shaking his face, taking, he's going to, he's going to kill me and take my gun. You know, and kill me with, you know, he's going to take my gun and kill me with it. Um, Oh, and by the way, I know this guy. I've dealt with him several times. He's a drug addict. He's a big guy. He used to be a former football player. So he's a big dude, you know, or he's an MMA fighter or something, you know. That's being able to justify my actions and why I did what I did. Well, yeah, I mean, to me, it's, you know, everybody that's listening was a child at some point. A lot of people listening have kids. To me, it's it's the same scenario as your kid comes home from school. Let's say they're in seventh or eighth grade. I punched somebody today. It's like there are some reasons where I'd say you did the right thing. You know, there's other ones exactly. where you'd be like, you're in deep fucking shit, you right. know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, like to me, that that's a huge component of it that I'm glad you brought up that, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you've got to be able to justify why you did what you did. Which brings me to my next question that I wanted to talk about is body cams, uh, what your opinion is of the, of them. I know that just like with any other singular angle perspective of something, it's not always what it seems. And, and I've, I've seen enough. Here's what the body cam footage looks like. And here's three other angles that are of the exact same scenario. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, that, that's way fucking different than Absolutely. what it looks like. Yes. But to me, ultimately, in, in today's day and age with cell phone cams and and you know, something that probably hits home with you, the Jesse Smollett thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of, of how damaging it can be when, when false claims are made. What, what is your overall opinion of body cams, generally speaking? Okay, in general, I think body cams are fine. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. 
with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. I think they exonerate more police officers than they do, you know, convicting them or whatever, you know, yeah. of, of justifying, you know, you know, showing that they did something wrong. Um, I think it, it exonerates them a lot more. Um, I think people act differently when they know that the police officer is wearing a body cam as oh, well. Sure. Yeah. You know, because they, they see the little light or whatever. They're like, oh, he got a body cam on. Now they don't act like such an asshole I'm you assuming know, as that, they normally do. Yeah, you know? I'm assuming there's some of that with a cop, too. The cop's probably going to act a little different. And the cop, it, yeah. yes, absolutely. It goes yeah. both ways. Yes, absolutely. One question I've heard people talk about, and I'm curious, we were just talking about discretion. Does... Does the body cam limit your ability to use discretion? Do you think? No, I don't. I don't think so. Don't no, think so. I don't think. Nor should it. Yeah, I don't I, think it should. I don't. I, I don't think there should be an issue with that. Yeah, because I've heard some some cops. That's one of their primary bitches with it. Is that like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to let this one slide or whatever. You think that's more of an excuse? Uh, it depends on the culture of their police department. Yeah. I mean, if. If their if their department's like get out there and make arrests, write tickets, you know, do this, you know, and now they're letting people go and they're they're going back to their department, going, eh, you know, I let this one go today, and well, no, yeah. we told you to make arrests. Yeah. Again, that's going to be culture specific for that particular yeah. uh, municipality or that particular department. Yeah. Uh, in general, like I said, I think the, the the body camps probably exonerate more police officers. However, when you look at those, like you said. It's a very limited perspective. I mean, you've got a camera facing, yeah. chest view, this when it's wide right angle, here, which distorts things. It totally distorts a yeah. lot of things. Yeah. So in a dynamic situation where you have a limited view, look, in real life, I can look 360, you know, up and down, all the way around. I, you know, my head's on a swivel looking around. I could see different things that my body cam does not see. Yeah. You know, if I catch movement out of the corner of my eye and I direct my attention there, and then eventually have to shoot because of a certain reason, yeah. my body cam is not seeing all of that yeah. as it goes around. So it's very <clears throat> limited in that regard. Mm. But I think, like you said, in general, I think it probably exonerates a yeah. lot of, you know. I know if, if I was a cop, I would I would actually prefer to have one. I mean, obviously not having... There's a lot of police officers that have gone out and got their own yeah. when they don't have them, you know. Yeah, I mean, not having been one, like maybe my opinion would change if I was out there and I had one and, and you know, maybe it would be different. Do you guys use them? We don't. We don't. We, in fact, we just started getting squad car cams. Oh, okay. Which I, which I appreciate those more yeah. because they're a little bit more show the bigger picture of what's going on. Do those pick like if so? If you pull somebody over and you got the, it's the da just a dash cam, right? The dash basically, cam. Mm -hmm. does is it forward and reverse? Yeah, you can have it set up both ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, at the same time. Uh, yes. Or is it, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if you pull somebody over and the dash cam is on, can they can does that dash cam pick up your verbal interaction with that person? Yes. It, mm -hmm. Like completely. Yep. yep. As yeah. long as I'm wearing the microphone, it picks up oh, okay. all the interactions. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. You know? Well, and that leads into my next uh, kind of question in terms of just generally speaking, patrolling tactics, stop and frisk, profiling, rolling with two officers versus one, females versus not. I, I kind of wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about what your thought process is on that. And I know some of it, again, is going to depend wildly, like you're going to do certain tactics or protocols, procedures, whatever, you know, if you're in Compton versus, you know, podunk fucking Kansas. But um, generally speaking, I That's guess... That's where I work at. 
podunk is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> podunk. <laughs> uh, what's the zip code on that? Um, you know, so some of the more, two of the more kind of controversial things are stop and frisk and, and profiling of some sort. And I think just like with anything, there's a happy medium. But then you get into, you know, certain amendment violations and, and uh, what have you. What What is your take on, on those two specifically, I guess? With regard to? Just what, you, I mean, stop and frisk as, an, as a good example of, do you think it, it should be implemented? Do you think it, it should be legal? No. Constitutionally, I mean, no. I yeah. mean. Anybody who's you know studied constitutional law, like I mean I have, is yeah. she, no. I don't. Everybody has an expectation of privacy. Okay, I have an expectation of privacy. You have an expectation of privacy. Um, we have certain areas where that expectation is very high. Obviously, it's very high within my home. It's very high within my personal space in my body, my pockets. You know, um, I so just somebody being able to. I put myself in, in a civilian shoes. If I'm walking down the street, I wouldn't want an officer just to walk up to me and just start patting me down for no reason. Yeah. I want you to be able to articulate why you reasonably believe that I am presently armed and dangerous to justify that yeah. pat down. Yeah. Okay. Now, I know NYPD got in trouble for this you know, a few years ago um, with basically just walking up to people. You know, And the thing is, is that you can't just have uh, uh, the police officers able to do what they want. They should have a lot of discretion. We should support our police, um, but we shouldn't allow them to just say, hey, we want to be able to stop and frisk whoever we want. Because remember that that, that discretion or that power that they have is a pretty enormous power. We give our police officers a lot of authority yeah. when they put that badge on. We don't want them to abuse that. And if you don't put restrictions on that power, then you run the risk of having people abuse that. Yeah. Now you got officers walking up to anybody and everybody, patting them down. Yeah. You know, not everybody is concealing something illegal. I may be concealing something I don't want you to know about. Yeah. You know, a fucking whatever. You know, you, you a little sexual a, device in my yeah, pocket. You may that, have a three foot strap on. Right. Down here. I don't want you just walking up and yeah. patting me down, finding that shit out. That's yeah. not illegal. Yeah. But I still don't want you to fucking know about it. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on, that's my privacy stuff. Yeah. So you kind of got to have a balance with that. You have to limit that ability to uh, the officers to be able to do whatever they want as yeah. well. Yeah. So constitutionally, I, I don't think that we should be able to. Yeah. You know, now. As a police officer, put it myself, would, would that be nice to be able to pick and choose? But yeah, I feel like, in my opinion, I act responsibly. Mm -hmm. So I would limit myself in, and use that where I wouldn't abuse that, yeah. okay? But I can't ensure that everybody in law enforcement would do the same thing. Yeah. I'd like to think that I'm pretty reasonable and rational yeah. in my thoughts and how I enforce the laws. Um, I, I tell the recruits most of police work is 80% common sense. But what the fuck? So a lot of people don't have that, yeah. you know? Unfortunately, 80% so of the population doesn't have it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a, including a lot of police officers. Yeah. A lot of our robotic police officers who do things by the book, everything's black yeah. and white. It's like, no, dude, everything is not black and white. Yeah. There's a lot of discretion in there. So let's talk about that. And that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. to give people to say, to give that, that leeway for officers to just, you know, Pat, you know, pat down anybody that they want. Yeah, that's too much power for for society to give their yeah. their law enforcement. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, to me, there there is an element of you know my, where my pushback on the on the discretion component comes in is is that too is that when people abuse 
that discretion based on, you know, some certain profiling aspects of, you know, and, and that leads to my next question is in terms of profiling, not even necessarily racial, but just in general, like what it's human nature and, and anybody that says otherwise or says, well, I don't, I don't pay attention to anything. It's a hundred percent of character bullshit. Like the way somebody's dressed, the way they talk, the way that they interact totally. with you, the way they carry themselves, their presence, what they're doing, you know, that whether or not they have fucking manners, all of those things play a role. Now, how big of a role, you know, is going to vary with everybody, but mm-hmm. how big of a role does, does profiling somebody what you know, in the, in the entire scope of all behavior, how, how big of a role does that play with, with you guys, do you well, think? Well, so I think that might be a, a small aspect of it. So we have a phrase where we, we take everything based on the totality of the circumstances, okay? So I have to take everything into consideration. So if I have a predominantly black neighborhood and I see a white teenage girl in this neighborhood... Now, I'm flipping the roles now here, and I'm saying I have a white teenage girl in a predominantly black neighborhood. What can you make the assumption that she's there to do? There's a lot of, a lot of negative things you can do. There's a up. lot of negative things that I can do. Is that profiling? Absolutely. So now it's up to me to use that one factor. She's out of place, okay? This is not, now I have to look for something additional. What is she doing here? Is she prostituting? Is she buying drugs? Is she doing anything illegal? Maybe she's visiting a friend. That's a possibility. Maybe she's walking to the soup kitchen. Fuck, who knows? Right, who knows? But now it's up to me to be able to adjust or to articulate something else other than that. So that is a factor. There's no doubt. Is that the sole factor for me to go up to her and say, hey, you're fucking out of place here. What the fuck are you doing here? Well, so that makes me think, you know, my my first response was there's a lot of negative things you could think of. I mean, to me, thinking of it now, there's there's a lot of assumptions you could make, not necessarily negative. Do do we as a society typically think of or, or we as as a society as it relates to police? generally assume the negative when you see something out of place is that well that's the as the police you're supposed to yeah you're supposed that's what the police do if if i live in a community okay we all live in a community obviously but if i'm in a community that where i want to feel safe with my family then you know what i want my police officers in that community to be proactive to be out there and pick up on that shit ahead of time and investigate that further. If there's no criminal activity going on, then hey, sorry to bother you today. We were just checking, have a nice day, yeah. okay? But, and it, like I said, it's in all in how you do the police work, yeah. okay? Do I want them going up and thumping the shit out of everybody they come in contact with? Of course not. But I do want them investigating certain crimes and yeah. being proactive. Yeah. That keeps my community safe so that way my kids could grow up without fear of being a victim. Yeah. I think most people want that in their communities. So look, to judge a police officer for using that as a basis, look, that's only one factor. You'd have to look for other things that are out of place as well. Again, based on my training and experience, based on what I've seen in the past, based on, you know, if I have a large heroin problem in my particular community and it's predominantly, let's say it's predominantly black. And I'm just saying that, not that there's a heroin problem just in black communities. I'm just painting the picture right now. So I have a black community. I know that there's a heroin problem there and I'm the police in that community tasked with enforcing that. And I see a young white girl who's out of place in that community. That's going to 
pique my interest. That my radar is going to go off and say, okay, let me look at this further. What the hell is she doing here? What is she, you know? So I may watch her a little closely. If I see her now going from corner to corner, it looks like she's trying to purchase something. Then I can now take it to the next level where I may be able to detain her. Because yeah. here's the other thing is that our society has have have been exposed to more crimes than any other society or any other uh, generation before us. And I'll tell you why. We have cops, the show Cops on TV. I can remember a time before they had cops on TV, but there's people now that they've, cops has always been on TV where you see crimes unfolding, real life in front of you. Yeah, live PD. Yeah, we got live PD now. We're seeing crimes now unfold. So you could grow up in a small town, never ever have seen a drug deal in your life. Now you're seeing what a real life drug deal looks like. Now you're the police and based on your training and experience, which that counts, I know what a drug deal looks like. Yeah. I see two people in a back alley in close proximity to each other. It looks like they're doing some kind of exchange based on the totality of the situation and my training and experience, I could reasonably articulate, I believe a drug transaction is going on. Yeah. Now, I, by law, I could go up to them and say, hey, what are you guys doing out here? Yeah. If they're just having lunch together and turn around eating their sandwich, hey, fine, have a nice day, sorry to bother you. Yeah. But the law allows me though, to detain them to investigate further. Okay, as long as I believe that there's criminal action going on, but I have to be able to justify that. I have to be able to articulate that. And if I can't, yeah then I can't do it. I can't detain them. And race, although not a sole factor, it could be a factor if taken in context where you have somebody who's out of place. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the word detain. Um, well, two things. One, but let me ask about the race thing first, is that if that does play a role, um, I can only imagine in, in as politically correct and in walking on eggshells of a society that, that mm-hmm. we now live in, how almost, I would say, probably impossible it is to justify using that as a factor in anything. Uh, You're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, I'm, trust me, I'm sure there's people listening to where I'm sitting here giving these scenarios and people are gasping like, holy fuck, you know, he said race, he said, yeah. you know, a white girl in a black neighborhood, oh my God, that's horrible. Like, like why is that out of place? Yeah, no. You know, I, but the thing is, but if you think about it, well, de- depending on it's what, it's reasonable. Yeah. And if that, and that's all we ask of our police officers to act reasonably and to justify that. So yeah, if if race is a factor, is it politically correct? No, as long as it's not the only factor, though, and there's other factors associated with that. It, then I think you can justify it legally. Does society like to hear that? No, they fucking don't like to hear it. But you know what? The reality is, is that if I'm going to go out there and keep your community safe, I'm looking for all these different things that are out of place. I'm looking for the shipbox car that's driving around the really nice neighborhood at a slow pace with their lights off. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm looking for to keep your community safe. Yeah. You know, yeah, am, no. I, am I stereotyping anybody who drives a shipbox car? No, maybe yeah. they can't afford a better car, but it's out of place. And yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, no, I, and I agree. I mean, you know, to me, I, I would rather have, you know, the cops that, that are, are anywhere where I'm at. I would, I would rather them be that way than, than the opposite. I, I, I would. I know a lot of people don't want that. And to me, I, I think that's a problem. I think it's also a, a, you know, a big reflection or speaks volumes to how, um, you know, just, 
emasculated our society has become and, and you know, f- figuring out something to fucking whine about basically is that, you know, to me, it's like in the grand scheme of things, if the worst part of your day is, you know, a cop assumed something that was incorrect, like, is, is that really a fucking violation of your civil rights? Like, I don't think it is. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can tell you, I've I've been in situations where I I know a fucking cop has assumed certain things about me by where I was, what I looked like, what I was driving, how I was sure. driving, what I you know all of that, and and, and the one common denominator, uh, you know, with all of it was how I interacted with that cop, you know, right. and if I was polite, respectful, and calm. I never had any fucking Absolutely. problems. And yes. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, there's been times where it was a total crock of shit why I got pulled over. Sure. And, and even when I explained why mm-hmm. I did what I did, anybody that's even fucking remotely reasonable would have been like, yeah, I see why you did that. And again, would have used discretion. And they didn't. And it pissed me off. Right. And, sure. and I started to, to argue and, and get heated and elevated. And that's exactly what he did back to me. And, and it made me realize, you know what? Now, just like you said, now is not the time to fight it. Right. You know, and, and, I, and I didn't. And I went to court and argued it then, and, and it wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it has been. Sometimes they still said, yeah, tough shit, you're getting the fucking ticket. Right, right. I don't mean to paint the picture I get pulled over, over all the time. No, but. Uh, but, but it's happened, you know, where I, you know, I, I can understand the, you know, the nuances of it, but uh, it's just something. Just chalk it up to all the shit you got away with before. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I never did anything wrong. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there's so much to that that I think, um, you know, people, it's almost like they, they want to be offended and want to be pissed off about it. And, and it, again, it's just you got to realize how difficult of a job being a cop is. Um, the last thing I have written down on uh, just, you know, from a tactic standpoint, the last two things is just and I know it depends totally on where you're at. But, you know, rolling with two officers in a squad car versus one. Is that something that from my perspective, that makes sense for just about fucking everywhere, but mm-hmm. I know the manpower thing. What What is your take on that? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, a- as an administrator, you got to take into consideration the use of manpower, the efficient use of manpower. Look, a- as a police officer in a squad car coming up through the ranks, I-, I don't want anybody riding with me. Really? You know, I- I'm in my car doing my shit. You know, <clears throat> I for you know we have ten hour shifts. I know there's twelve hour shifts and eight hour shifts. You know, we have ten hour shifts for ten hours. I want you know somebody in the car with me. Yeah. Mm, you, I, I don't know, the, but but here's the thing. There's certain things that we do do that we do do in two-man cars you know, or two-man in a car. Yeah. You know, our TAC unit, they go out two-man, two-man. I suppose it depends on where you're patrolling too, It right? depends on where yeah. you're patrolling and what you're doing. Yeah. That's a huge factor in that. Yeah. You know, and again, we talk about the efficient use of manpower. Yeah. You know, if in our TAC unit, I want two guys in an unmarked car driving out, you know, that yeah. have each other's back. Because they may be far out where you, they can't get enough help in time, so they're going to be there for each other. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's certain things or certain details that they're doing where you'd have two men. But yeah. for me, just... Regular patrolling, driving around, and you know, yeah. I don't, I don't want yeah. to, you know. Trust me, you. I, I tell some of my guys, hey, we got a ride along today, and they're fucking rolling. They're like, oh fuck, I got yeah. somebody in the car with me. Shit, yeah. I was yeah. gonna talk to my girlfriend for a little bit, you know, and <laughs> you know, whatever the hell you know they were yeah. gonna do in their car. He's gonna know? send some dick pics later, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. now they're like, shit, you ruined my plans, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. You know, you should see their faces when I'm saying, hey, we got a ride along today. Like, fuck, sticking with the new guy. You know, yeah. I don't want nobody in the car with me, yeah. you know. No, I'm tracking. Uh, I am curious from a, in, in your police academy standpoint, are there different standards for women? No. Same standard. And I'll tell you this. It, as 
the program coordinator at the academy, I've, I've always held, look, raising two girls, coming from that perspective and raising them like boys, uh, which is funny because growing up, them growing up, I used to call, like, hey, boys, come on. We're not boys. <laughs> yeah, you're my boys. You're the only boys I have. Yeah. So let's go, you know. Yeah. Um, I am very, at our police academy, I make sure that they get the same equal treatment that everybody gets. Yeah. In fact, I may be even a little bit tougher on them because yeah. of that. So, um, because I know the challenges that they're going <clears throat> to face when they get into their yeah. patrol. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, it's, it's nice to hear that, but I, I know that there are plenty of academies out there where there are different standards, right? Phys, like physical uh, well, standards. I, I think that's across the nation where there's probably different standards for females and males and, yeah. you know, and uh, do I agree with that? No, yeah. but the state says that that's the way it is. And that's the way it is. I mean, same thing with the military. I mean, there's yeah. different, you know, standards for females. No, yeah. well here, I think as far, so I think as far as like upper body strength, Let's say, so we do a power test before you could get into the police academy. I think some of the upper body strength things, I think there probably should be a difference because there's no way that you're going to get, you may have a female that's just as strong as a male, okay? But you're talking about a, you know, a, a male who's probably smaller in statute, probably, you know. Yeah. And it's very difficult. I don't want to say that because I'm not categorizing one or the other. Well, I mean, I'm just me saying that typically... You don't, females don't have the same upper body strength. Yeah. There are females that do. I'm, I'm not saying that. I mean, there are females that have the same, but there's not a lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't think the same standard, but in Illinois, there's a different running standard too. And right. I don't think there should be a different there. Why do females run slower than males do? Yeah. You know, or why are they allowed to run slower? Why are they allowed to? They, right? I don't think they they do, yeah. nor should they. Trust me. I got women there yeah. that come to the academy that are stronger than some of the men that outrun some of the men. You yeah. know, and yeah. and that's fine. You know, yeah. I, I can have a big muscle guy come in there, fucking slow as fuck in running. You know, and the guy yeah. works out every day. What you know, so he can't run. Yeah. Why me, should the woman have a slower run time than him? They shouldn't. No, they, they you shouldn't. You know, but I think as far as like bench pressing and upper body strength, you know, I think that, I think there are differences because you're not going to get a woman who's yeah. going to bench press. Yeah. Well, Again, there are, but yeah. there's... I, I well, to, yeah, I mean, to me, the, the short answer is this, is that my, my opinion is there, there should be absolutely no difference in standards. Now, I will caveat that with ensure that the standards are reflective of, of the type of work that needs to be done. If you know a bench press is, is not a relative or appropriate measure of strength needed to do the job, then don't have that be part of the fucking test. Sure, you know have have hey here's physically what you need to be able to do this fucking job, and here are the tests that reflect it. Here are the fucking standards, and you make them or you don't, male sure. or female. To me, that fixes everything. Absolutely, you know because you know to me like if you want to be treated similarly, well then you have to pre perform similarly. Uh, and I see that, you know, with stuff about, uh, you know, women coming into the SEAL teams or trying to come into the SEAL teams, other soft units, whatever, you know, there is an element of, of uh, you know, culture that exists that I, I won't get into on this episode. But uh, but just from a standard standpoint, yeah, I just I think that that's the fix is that, you know, uh, fair, fair and equal treatment means that. The standards aren't lowered, but they also need to adequately reflect uh, what what the job is, and I think that that's an easy fix. For most them, most of the females that I know in law enforcement that are within my you know yeah. friendship circle or whatever, 
would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. They don't think that there should be any difference. Now, if you want to do it by body, by a percentage of body weight, mm-hmm. um, then sure. Because the, now they do it where it's, I think it's like 98% of a male male's body weight versus like 50-something percent for a female's body weight. Yeah. Well, why don't you just lower it a little bit and make it equal across the board and just say it's based on your body weight. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, and then that's it, you know, and that's that way it's different for everybody based on your size. Yeah. Not, yeah, it's completely irrespective of sex. I think that's how everything should be. Yeah. One of the things I'm curious about is transparency. Um, Police transparency, generally speaking, is that I think like, you know, whether it's government, police, you know, parents with their kids, same thing. Like there's a certain level of discretion that's typically used in, in all of those categories in terms of how transparent they are with the public or, you know, a parent with their children or, uh, you know, a boss with their employees, a fucking whatever. What is your opinion on, on, on that, I guess, in terms of, of the, the level of transparency that seems like is being demanded more and more? Do you think that there should be a limit? Do you think that given the nature of, of policing and, and the environment that we live in, that it should be completely transparent? Uh, what, what problems do you see exist? What is your opinion on that? I don't think that there should be, obviously, complete transparency. And I'll, uh, and I'll say in the sense that when you have certain operations going on, I mean, it's like, you know, it's kind of like the military. You can't disclose every operation and say, here's where the teams are going to be now and here's where they're going to be now. I mean, that's, yeah. that's secret and that could jeopardize the safety of those teams. Same thing with police. We can't just be completely transparent to say, you know, the police are doing this today. The police are doing that today. You know, the police live here. They, you know, yeah. this. You can't be completely transparent in that regard. However, we should be open with the public with regard to what we do. I mean, there should be no, you know, okay, we had an officer-involved shooting. <laughs> you know, we can't say anything. Yeah. The reason why, and I think for most municipalities, I think we... We're aware of that, and I think we try to give as much information as we can. However, you have to understand the dynamic of that, too. There's a lot of investigations going on in the background where you can't just go on TV and say, okay, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened, because, number one, it may not have happened as you think it did initially, and it's an ongoing investigation. You can't jeopardize that investigation by going on TV and blasting out everything that just occurred. So I think a lot of... Departments are aware of that. They try to put out as much information as they can without jeopardizing anything that's going on in, in the background. Yeah. I, and I say this, if you go on like Facebook or other social media, a lot of departments have those now where they're putting information out almost immediately. Yeah. Not anything that's critical, but they're giving the public the information that they need. So that way they're not sitting there going, oh, my God, what's going on? Yeah. One of the things from, from a transparency standpoint that I think uh, this is at least my perception uh, as not a police officer, but that I see, you know, it seems like there are a number of occasions where the public is frustrated with police in general is the transparency of investigations of their own when it comes mm-hmm. to a good good shot, good, sure. you know, whatever. You know, and so I'm, I'm curious, I mean, to me, there, again, if I'm playing devil's advocate and, and to just try to be objective about it is that there is a little bit of an element. I mean, it's kind of like in politics when it's like, 
you know, an administration is going to investigate itself as to whether or not it was corrupt. And it's like, yeah, we found that there was no corruption. No shit. Right. You know, yeah, like right, imagine right. that one, you know, so that sure. there is a, an element of skepticism, I think, that, that you guys are continually met with when it comes to, you know, kind of a lack of transparency on investigations of, of your own, you know, police officers. What is your take on that? So I think that, um, uh, again, that's also a uh, uh, something that people think that happens that doesn't necessarily um, occur too much nowadays. I mean, I'm saying like, eh, nowadays, we don't, yeah, you know. Back in my day. Right, exactly. So um, I think now, I think a lot of municipalities and departments are aware of that. And a lot of them bring in independent investigators. Now, yeah, people believe that, oh, we have the thin blue line that we hide behind, yeah. you know, because we're looking out for our brothers and sisters in blue. And, you know, that that's true to an extent, not to an extent where we're hiding anything illegal. Yeah. I think when it comes to like, for example, officer-involved shootings, most departments and municipalities will bring in an outside agency that's not affiliated with their department to conduct these investigations to yeah. make sure they were justified. Yeah. You know, I think that's, any, so, that's something that should, you know, from a PR standpoint needs to be highlighted way further than it is. Cause I don't think most people realize that. I mean, I, I know there's a, well, right, a number yeah. of instances where, you know, even I'm like, fuck what, what's the deal with that? You know, but you know, I think, well, in Illinois, and again, I can't speak to other states, but in Illinois, um, even within our, in our own area, if something were to happen in our municipality, we would bring in a joint task force yeah. from other departments yeah. to be, and, and this joint task force consists of people from our department as well, but they kind of exclude themselves from that investigation. Yeah. That way it's only the uh, agencies outside of our agency conducting this investigation, or yeah. the alternative is to bring in state police to yeah. conduct that investigation. Yeah. You know, or an alternative to that, bring in the FBI to conduct the investigation. That's, yeah. you know, but I mean, you have those options to do that as a municipality to bring in an outside agency to conduct those things. Yeah. And again, it happens in Illinois by us, yeah. you know, um, yeah. even in Chicago, they have their own board that reviews, you know, officer-involved shootings yeah. and actions like that. In, in your department, the 22 years you've been there, have you had off officer-involved shootings that were controversial at all? No. Not, not, not one? Nope, no controversial. Yeah. Um, they've all, Everything's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, they've all I mean, how, how many, do you know about how many you've had in the 22 years? Um, in our municipality, um, we've had one right after I started that I was there for. Um, that um, you were involved then, in? I, I didn't pull it, I didn't, pull the trigger, but I was there oh, okay. um, when it happened. And I was taking, as a brand new officer, I'm like, holy fuck, you yeah. know, is this what it's like, you know? <laughs> so, and then after that, we hadn't had one in like 20 years, oh, you know? Okay. And then, yeah. you know, um, we've had we've had a couple of officer involved shootings recently. Um, actually, one is still investigated, so we really can't yeah. talk about that. But we had one not too long ago on our midnight shift. We, have a, uh, we had three officers responding to a domestic call Lady calls for help. Our officers are just walking up the street. Now, they parked about a block away. They're walking up the street, and the guy comes out with the gun and just fires randomly at, the, at their flashlights. They're walking up with their flashlights oh, to see the, the house number to make sure they're going to the right house. And the guy basically says, yeah, I just shot at the flashlights. I saw the flashlights, and I just took random shots at the flashlights. Does the he... officers shot back, but they were at such a great distance that they, they didn't hit him. They... Did, did he realize that they were cops, or did he think they were somebody else? Or did he... he fucking knew they were cops. Oh, okay. he, yeah, he, I mean... yeah, he knew they were the, yeah, he yeah. knew they were the police because his wife just called it. 
called yeah. the police on him. Yeah. You know, and this was far. This was in a subdivision. I mean, there's. It's not like in, in out, you know, yeah. in, in country where yeah. you know there's not a lot of, you know, you see some bunch of flashlights walking in your yard, like what the fuck is that, you know? Yeah. No, I mean this is in a subdivision where, you know, and then you're in a domestic. Your wife just calls the police and you go there and he steps outside and shoots at him, yeah. you know. And one of them is is you know a, a trained operator that, you know, yeah. he's he's still active. He's yeah. he's a reserve, but he's still active. He's a trained operator. Fuck. No, no shot. Shot back, yeah. Oh, that's cool. All right, so another thing I have uh, that I'm curious, it's probably not as big of an issue uh, in the Chicago area. Uh, immigration and sanctuary city laws, um, does that play any role with you guys whatsoever? Or at a minimum, like, what is your take on that disparity between federal law and what state and local munis- municipalities kind of go against the grain with stuff like that? Um, as far as like immigration laws and like ICE and stuff like that, I mean, I, I don't want to say it doesn't play a factor in our neck of the woods because I mean it does. I and mean, we have a, a you know large, you know, immigration issue in Chicago. Now, um, is that the, the focus on local law enforcement? I guess it's not when really you, like I mean local. When, when you say immigration issue, what? Uh, we have a people. We have a lot of diverse community of people from other countries. You know, and does it seem to not, cause problems? I don't know. I don't really get too involved in in or too. I don't pay too much attention to that as far yeah. as like immigration issues. As far as like oh, they're stealing the jobs and you know stuff like yeah. that. I'm not. You know, yeah. I don't. Know, I mean, I, I guess for me, if you know, in in using the term immigration issue, I, I guess just that it's a, a huge factor. Is that is that more what you mean, or? Well, I I don't I, I don't think it is. I mean, I don't. I guess. I, well, let me ask you this: What are you talking about? Something specific that like like illegal immigrants being in? Well, I guess, in, I guess from you know my where my question stems from is let's say you pull somebody over and you know they don't speak English and they don't have an ID and, and whatever you know whatever the case is is that you you make the determination due to the facts that you come in contact with that they are now here illegally. What is your take in terms of there are some places in this country where the, the law enforcement in that area said you can't do anything because of, the, you know, like what is your take on, on the right and left flank of what should be done in those scenarios and what is your guys' policy? Right. Well, you said, you know, if somebody does speak English, I mean, arguably... I'm from New York. People don't think I fucking speak English, you know. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you but saying? I mean, you know. But, but I get what things. you're saying as far as so. I guess it depends on the scope of the crime, okay? Because trust I me, mean, we get a lot of minor, arguably minor, offenses with regard to like, let's say DUIs. You know, with somebody who who's not supposed to be in the country. You know, do we like lock them up and call ICE and have them deported and stuff like that? No. I think it would depend on the severity of the crime that's involved. Um, but yeah, what you get a DUI now, a misdemeanor, you know? Is it really? Yeah. Fucking DUI is a misdemeanor. Unless unless it's your second one, or you're driving wow. on a suspended license for a DUI. To me, that already, seems but, crazy. Yeah. You know. Um, I don't know. That seems nuts to me. But, but I mean, it's 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 not it's it's. Look, it's a problem in our country driving under the influence of alcohol. Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying that it is 
you know, it is just a misdemeanor. So that's not something that I would have somebody deported over. So I guess. You know, uh, so like I said, it would be it would depend on the severity of the crime of what further law enforcement action that I would take. So I guess similarly to the hate crime thing is that you would use your discretion to determine whether or not them being here illegally is going to influence at all your decision to absolutely to go any further. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Have I ever had the occasion to do that? Nope, not in 22 years have I ever had yeah. run into somebody who was here illegally that I felt compelled to yeah. say, oh my God, if I don't take further law enforcement action, other people could be harmed or killed, you yeah. know? Um, I, I guess, you know, to me, I'm curious, you know, if you even have an answer, I guess, why why your perspective on them being here illegally doesn't play a role at all or why you would use discretion with it, I guess, the, or maybe a better way to phrase the question is, is, is why does it not? Uh, is, there, is there no expectation from a local law enforcement standpoint to help enforce immigration policy? No, I, I don't think it's that. I think it's more of how involved am I going to have to get into this just to to look into something where in the scope of things am I going to get the support where this person is actually going to be deported mm. rightfully or not you know I mean there, I, I guess that again there's a lot of factors that come into play with that you know I, if I'm making an arrest for a, a, a minor offense am I going to expend the amount of time that goes into investigating whether they're here illegally whether they have the proper paperwork whether they have I mean it sounds like a cop-out but it's it's not really what 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 local law enforcement is focusing on. I mean, yeah. look, if they go to if, if and when they go to court, I mean, it could be dealt with from there. Yeah. You know, if there's additional issues or if they have a, a lengthy criminal history. I mean, look, a criminal history also plays a factor into it, too. I stop somebody and they got a lengthy criminal history. Yeah, I'm going to look into that a lot closer, you know, so, than, than, than I would, you know, somebody who, who's never been arrested before. Yeah. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. So I, I guess just out of my own curiosity, if you pull somebody over that, that is here illegally, but they have a, a long criminal history, d does it say that, that, that they're not, I mean, if they don't have a driver's license, for example, you know, and they're like, they don't have a, an American piece of identification in any regard mm -hmm. other than, you know, a fucking debit card or whatever, but they don't have any form of identification that says that they're here legally or that they're just a U.S. citizen, I guess maybe is the best way to put that. But let's say they've got, you know, four different fucking elements of criminal history. Is there no correlation between, oh, and this person is also here illegally? Is, is that not? There could, again, there could be. Again, it depends on how involved I'm as a police officer using my discretion. Am I going to get involved in that? You I mean, know? I guess am I going to contact somebody at the council at their particular consulate and say, hey, this guy was arrested and here's his criminal history. We're required for any non-national, um, you know, non-U.S. person to contact their consulate anyway. We get a list of phone numbers for every country to contact them and say, hey, this person was stopped and or arrested and, you know, here's... 
here's what the disposition of that was, yeah. you know, and it's up to them to follow through with that. Now, whether they do or not, we don't always know. Yeah. Um, but and I mean, again, it depends on the severity of their criminal history and the crime that they're committing now, how much further I'm going to look into that. Or if they're going to be detained longer, let's say at the county jail, now we're holding on to them. Now we can now look into that further and say, okay, is this somebody that needs to be looked at closely? Let's call the feds and say, you know, yeah. and, and have them looked at closer. But typically, uh, without those elements, we're not out there like hunting for immigrants well not, no, not local law enforcement yeah you know? no i mean i i don't i would not agree. illegally i should I, let me clarify not illegal immigrants yeah, we're not I, out there like yeah you know rounding them up and saying you know no I, and and i agree like i don't think that should be the focus of of you know local police departments either on the on the same token one i guess my question was is if if they give you a name they're like i don't have an id but here's my name and you pull it up and it there's you know several different uh, arrests or issues in their criminal history or whatever, does it annotate on where, where you pull that up that they're not an American citizen or does that not come into, um, is it not part no, of? I don't think that shows yeah. up on their yeah. criminal history. I'd have to de- make that determination myself based on other factors, yeah. you know, based on, you yeah. know, and again, it's going to be the time of day that I'm working. I worked a midnight shift. How easy am I going to be able to get a hold of somebody, you know, to make a phone call and say, hey, here's who I have. And, being here even illegally, they have constitutional rights as well, yeah. you know, and I, I can only detain them for so long before I have to cut them loose if I can't prove any criminal activity to detain them for. Yeah. To me, I, you know, again, I'm not a cop. You know, maybe my position would be very different if I was dealing with that. And, and you know, if, if that's a minor blip on the radar screen in, in comparison to everything else you deal with. So I, you know, I don't want to armchair quarterback shit. And, right. And you, I think maybe some, know, maybe but, larger departments that have a large, larger illegal, you know, alien yeah. population would probably focus on that more than what we would do. But, yeah. but as a smaller agency in, in, yeah. you know, the suburbs of Chicago, nah, not really. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, it just makes sense from kind of a federal big picture standpoint is that, you know, agreed. Like, I don't think you should be go out there being like, Hey, are you here? Are you supposed to, you know, no. But if you pull somebody over breaking the law and, Oh, it turns out they're also here illegally to me, like from just a policing standpoint, my, Mm -hmm. my logical response would be like, it it should be a simple matter of, of, Hey, ice, this guy's here illegally. Come find, like, (laughs) why is it not that? So, you know, I mean, I know you don't have an answer. I don't have an answer for that, but But, yeah, it's not that simple. (laughs) To me, it should be, you know, like if you're here illegally, a, to me, that means you don't have any constitutional rights, but even irrespective of that is that that in and of itself is breaking a federal law. No different than, you know, if they have meth in their pocket, that's breaking Mm -hmm. a federal law. So, you know, again, and I know it boils down to discretion. It's just to me, my, my gut or initial response would be, Right. That would be a, I would think, a pretty effective way of, of helping, you know, Border Patrol, federal immigration, ICE, whatever, mm-hmm. is that if every cop out there was like, hey, this guy's here, I think it's also on them to make it easier for you guys to be sure. able to do that. But anyway, just real quick from an officer recruitment standpoint, I know that's a, a big issue that plagues uh, police nationwide. Nowadays, it's harder and harder to get people uh, to even come on board. Do you guys have that same problem or is it? Pretty- uh, everybody does. Yeah. Yep. It's across the nation. Um, being involved in the police academy as much as I am, um, we see that all the time with, yeah. you know, with some of the recruits that they send us, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, what you can't do better than this. It's harder and, and harder know, to find. It's, yeah. it's really difficult. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, 
Um, I think departments try to do the best they can with their background checks and their psychological exams. And, you know, and we, and we go through all that. We go through psych exams, medical, you know, and. Do you think it's just the caliber of individuals lower in this country? Um, no, I think so. Again, it's, there's several factors. Some of the bigger factors that I see is in Illinois, most Department defer to a police and fire commission that make do, does makes their hiring decisions. A lot of times, those police and fire commissioners are not even police officers. Yeah, you know um, that seems like a, a big fucking mistake. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it, it it can be, and mm. often is because if you've never sat behind the wheel of that squad car, how are you going to make the decision on whether this person is going to be a good police officer or not? So, who makes the decision to put those people in charge of hiring? Um, sometimes they're appointed, sometimes they're elected. I mean, so is that, uh, is that, would that be a mayor's position that he would determine that? Yeah, the mayor, yeah, yeah. the mayor would make that decision. And there's and, some fucking disconnects that go on that and, frankly bother But you can mind. see where there's a lot of problems and it's very frustrating for us yeah. when we don't have a say in who's coming in and who's not. Trust me, I see, I see a lot of people enter into our profession and I'm like, how the fuck did you get here? They have no business being in yeah. law enforcement. This is a problem just waiting to happen, you know, and, and, and it's like I talk to the chiefs of those departments and I'm like, what, you know, you know, can you tell me what you guys were thinking when, you know, because this guy's starting to be a problem already. And they're like, you know what, we knew he was going to be a problem, but the police and fire commissioners appointed. And it's like, wait a minute, you're telling me you knew he was going to be a problem, but your police and fire commissioner appointed him. So we got to give him a chance. Okay, well, here's what's going on, you know, and, and a lot of people think that, oh, we'll just send them to the academy and the academy will weed them out. Yeah. We don't weed them out. Well, it's not your Because it, we be didn't hire either. them. Yeah. We, we didn't hire them. Our job is to train them as best we can and report back to those departments yeah. with, that's like saying I'm sending my kid to school and hoping that they get weeded out in school. Yeah, no, uh, that's a that's lazy chicken happens. shit they, answer. Right. Yeah. It's, it's up to those departments to take action and say, look, he's not cutting it. You're gone. Yeah. Sorry, we're not going to take the risk of running, getting our police yeah. department in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and trust me, we report back to these departments all the time and we're like, hey, you know, uh, this guy's not really working out or these are some of the red flags that we're seeing. And they're like, well, can you guys fire him? Well, no, we, we can't fire. We didn't hire them. We can't yeah. fire them. It's going to be up to you guys. Well, we don't really want to do that. You know, we invested so much in their training already. It's like, Jesus Christ. It, it's frustrating for us too. I mean, trust me. And I'm like, you know, like, um, yeah, don't, don't hold on to a problem a day longer than you have to, just cause you spent a lot of money making that mistake, right. you know, you know but you know, problem. oh, well, we want to give him a chance and, and see what he can do or see what he yeah. or she can do. And it's like, okay. Yeah. No, it's, that's dumb. Is, I mean, would you say that that's uh, the single biggest problem with recruitment is, is that scenario where the people that are in charge of hiring them, you know, shouldn't be there? I would say that's a, a very large factor, which is why I kind of, you know, yeah. brought that up because right away, that's one of the biggest ones, you know, I, I, and there's a lot of factors too. I mean, our psychological exams that, that we do, um, if well, I had a chief report to me one time and he said, you know, I, I, I talked to our psychiatrist who does our psych exams and, um, he said that we can set the criteria that we want. I'm like, yeah, I thought most departments can set the criteria. He's like, yeah, but I didn't, we didn't know that. We were just letting him make that decision. I was like, you mean you didn't set the, you didn't tell him what you were looking for? Like, yeah. he's like, no, we didn't know we could. Jesus. We're like, yeah, of course you could set the criteria of what you're looking for. 
no wonder you guys are getting a bunch of, <laughs> Jesus. you know, it's like, yeah. he's right like, yeah, he goes, now we're about. telling them, oh, we, we want this criteria, you know, in our police officers. And now mm. it's now it's like, look, a psychiatrist is not spends a day with the guy or girl and says, okay, you know, this is what I'm looking for. And then they start to, you know, they sit yeah. there with their, you know, yeah. glasses on, <laughs> tip their pens and they're like, okay, tell me about your childhood. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. They're looking for certain things that they were told to look for yeah. by that respective department, yeah. you know, and if you don't tell them that, then what, how do they know what to look for? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I'm tracking. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's one more bureaucracy that I think hamstrings uh, law enforcement, but, uh, another big, uh, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily an issue that plagues us percentage-wise, and I'm sure there's people that are gasping hearing that as it relates to active shooters, mass shooters, whatever you want to call them. It, it gets a fuck ton of attention in the media, but when you really look at the statistics, it's such a small uh, percentage of, of people that uh, that die in this country via somebody that goes in and shoots someplace up uh, to four or more people, which is uh, the textbook de definition of a mass shooter. I am curious. From a police standpoint, what is your take on just the response of it? Because it gets so much media attention, and, and let's be honest, like at this point, uh, schools, businesses, corporations, whatever, I mean, most of them at this point have some sort of active shooter policy. What is your take on, on it from a police standpoint? Um, I, well, as far as from a law enforcement perspective, I think we've come a long way with our response to active shooter situations. With the proper training, we can we can handle them. Now, do you know most of our larger schools have police resource officers in them already? Yeah. Um, so I think we have that aspect covered, um, and I think our response has changed a lot with regard to our you know, response time and what we're doing. And now the focus is, is getting in there and eliminating threat immediately, bypassing injured, you know, bypassing, you know, other dangers and getting right to where the, the killing's occurring so we can make sure it stops. Yeah. Uh, whereas before our, you know, we've always like set up a perimeter and call, wait for SWAT to come out and handle yeah. it. Now we're training our individual officers to go in there sometimes alone because their lone action could make the difference between the killing of two people or 10 people. Yeah. What do you think about the, the Parkland shooting as the only example that I can think of where, you know, basically the officers of school, I think it was the school resource officer or whoever came, whoever the, the first person to respond was basically just fucking sat there while the school was getting gunned up and or gunned down rather. And, uh, you know, do you have a perspective on that? I mean, like the guy just sat there and fucking heard shots going yeah. and was too scared to go and, in. And all of us in law enforcement go, are you fucking kidding? Like, I, I've heard you talk about this before where you're like, give me a fucking opportunity to have that situation so mm -hmm. I could show what I can do. You know, I think I've heard you say, you know, why can't a, a, somebody come in and rob the gas station while I'm in fucking in there and armed yeah. and ready to go, you know? Mm -hmm. um, we all think that as law enforcement officers, you know, we all play the what if game in our head. And I'm thinking to myself too, like, fuck, this guy had an opportunity to save lives and fucking make a difference. Um, I, I would, I would kill to be in that position so I can make a difference in, in a bunch of people's lives. So that way I could challenge myself and see what I can do in that. And I think most of law enforcement feels that way too, where we would take action immediately and swiftly. That's how you're trained. Yeah. Not to 
fucking stand outside and listen to gunshots and people screaming and not do anything about it. Do you think that that was a training selection issue? Both? What? I mean, how's a guy like that? Well, I don't think his department didn't give him any support. I mean, they, they jumped all over him. So I don't know if that was a training fault or anything like that. Yeah. I think it was in his own mindset and his, again, without being in his shoes, I can only say it's only in his mindset of what he committed himself to do and the scenarios he thought about ahead of time. You know, I tell people, especially in law enforcement, when I do training, I go, play the what if game in your head all the time. What if this gas station is getting robbed right now? What would I do? What if this was happening? What would I do? That way, when it fucking happens, you're not like a deer in the headlights going, holy fuck, this is happening right now? Yeah. That way you can act swiftly and do your job. Mm -hmm. I, I, again, I don't know what this guy thought. If he thought, okay, this will never happen here, and then it happens, and now he's like, oh shit, what do I do? Mm -hmm. You know? But I. I tell the people that I train at the academy and at the police department, play these things over in your head. Train to be the warrior. Yeah. And then you get in your mindset, okay, if this happens, I'm going to do this. If that happens, I'm going to do that. You keep playing that game in your head, then when the shit hits the fan, you already have a plan of action in place and you act appropriately. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, you know, it, it again boils down to scenario-based training and being proactive, just like, you know, a lot of the benchmark principles of whether it's police work or military um speaking of active excuse me active shooters and the last couple of instances that has ha that have happened and frankly all of them you know as soon as they happen uh because it seems like it's generally um you know a, a certain type of firearm use that you get a lot of calls for gun control and certain legislation and red flag laws and taps act and all this other shit you know, coming from a state that is generally pretty liberal in terms of its gun policies and, and uh, you know, just politically, I guess, Illinois is, is overwhelmingly that way. And in terms of how policy is dictated, generally speaking, what is your take on civilians' ability to obtain, you know, those types of, of firearms, any types of firearms? Should there be limits? Do you think that constitutional carry could should or could exist uh, I guess more more importantly should it exist what, what is your take in terms of where the limits are of what people should be able to buy or not and how once they have them or depending on what type of person they are uh, you know whether or not you, you let them buy certain things or have them if uh, if there's issues um, well it, it's that's a really good question because I take it from my own personal love of firearms and you know what i have in like my collection and what i appreciate and um <clears throat> versus you know what i want to ha impose on the rest of society to make sure that i'm safe is that fair no why should i be able to carry whatever i want to for my love of firearms and nobody else can yeah. so from that perspective i'm just gonna i would say that Look, I think we have certain safeguards. In Illinois, as liberal as it is, I think that there's people that you, you can have certain... Well, we can't have silencers. So, for example, you know... Or um, you, what, okay, like, what, so, why, do you think? I mean, I know that, you know, typically in, in any state you need some sort of ATF stamp to be able to acquire them. Are you saying you can't get them even with that? You can't, yeah, you really? can't have them, yes. They're completely mm -hmm. fucking banned. It's completely law enforcement only and... It has to be certain uh, operational needs for, Do you agree for with enforcement. Um, no, because I want to fucking. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can't have one. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That, you know, um, 
I can't impose what my personal things and then say, well, the rest of society shouldn't have it, but I should. Yeah. That's not fair. Okay. Yeah. I, and, but I think, um, I think there should be certain guidelines. Obviously, I think there are some guidelines in place in Illinois to restrict that. But here's the thing. You're going to restrict um, somebody who's lawfully allowed to carry uh, a firearm versus some shithead out on the street who buys it illegally and runs around with the firearm. I mean, come on. And then here's where the issue with that comes in. The issue with that is imposing stricter penalties for having it illegally versus obtaining it legally, mm-hmm. okay? Don't make it so hard for me to uh, obtain it legally, but then make it easy for a guy who's carrying it illegally to get away with it. Yeah, That's not right. That mm-hmm. is not right. And that's what causes the problems within our state and probably the rest of the country. Just enforce, enforce the shit that's already there. Enforce the shit that's already there. Yeah. I think the laws that we have right now for, for Illinois firearms are fair and okay could they be better sure okay but look people are allowed to get firearms in illinois people can get their firearm owners identification card people can get their concealed carry in illinois um is it a lot of red tape paperwork to do it sure it is okay uh but it's not impossible i mean if you're committed to getting it then you can get it and it's fine yeah. Okay, I'd rather deal with that person than deal with the person who does have it illegally and should not have it. And the person that I arrest for having it illegally, fucking walking on the street the next week with another firearm that they just bought illegally. Well, so is, is that a law issue or is that does that fall back to a, a discretion issue on a judge's part? Well, no, I think it's a law issue. I think that yeah, it's both. It is both. It's it's up to a judge, and you know you have very liberal judges in Cook so, County that that yeah. don't, you know, that don't impose the harsher penalties guess, for carrying a firearm. I mean, to me, that seems so fucking counterintuitive. In that, you know, if you've got liberal judges who are, you know, really anti-gun that want all of these restrictions on firearms that you're allowed to get but then if you have one that that's fucking illegal they're just like yeah whatever right i mean how, that, that's how what does that well, it makes no sense it makes no sense that, yeah and that's the problem with what we have now i say in illinois but it's really in the cook county which pretty much dictates what happened try the rest of illinois probably down south of illinois are more conservative than you think but it's cook county that pretty much yeah. rules illinois and the decisions that they make pretty much kind of yeah, I mean, to me, to me, it's if if I'm in Chicago, like I'm going to buy a gun illegally, then because it's like, well, fuck, you're not going to do anything about it anyway. Like that's, that's, I, I wouldn't even fuck with what, it. And that's what happens. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's just fucking stupid. Um, yep, absolutely. You, you mentioned something a minute ago where you said the the laws are fine or good or okay. I forget the word, mm-hmm. exact word you use, but <clears throat> when you said that they could be better. Do you mean that they could be better in terms of being uh, easier to obtain firearms or they could be better in terms of more restrictive? Not, I don't want to say more restrictive. I, I, I never want to be accused of saying that we should make it more restrictive. I think there should be more careful attention paid to, you know, um, to what, how people get. I had, I had one officer, and this is a true story. I have a friend of mine uh, years ago um, showed me a, a firearm owner's identification card that he obtained for his infant. Yeah. That because there was no criminal history because, yeah. you know, that it, it it was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like Did he use that as a loophole to get guns or he just wanted his son to No, he was just making an example, just being a dick. Oh, okay. Just, making an example. just being a smart ass. <laughs> yeah, guy. right. So it was like, wait a minute, like, yeah. are you kidding me? 
Now, I'm not quite sure how easy that would happen today, you know, now, yeah. um, but it but it happened. And yeah. it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. How is it that, you know, easy to get that? Uh, I'm not saying that we should be able to go to, you know, anybody should just be able to walk into Walmart and get it in, in Illinois. I mean, I guess the, I, I understand that in other places. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, but at the same time, there should be certain ch checks to make sure that the person that is buying this firearm meets a certain criteria. You know, no criminal history, no, you know. So, you know, here's where you'll see a recurring theme with me in, in any episode, and obviously in this one as well, is it's that discretion thing, is that to me where, where discretion uh, creeps in and has a potential to be abused is in stuff like that. And that's, that's where I take issue with any type of legislation that, that are anti-gun is that, you know, when, when that kind of blanket statement of I don't think anybody should, you know, just anybody should mm -hmm. be able to go in and, and buy a gun. You should have to pass X, Y, and Z. You know, where I take issue and I think where a lot of people do is who is determining what that box or boxes, rather, in this case, what those are that need to be checked for you to be allowed to buy yeah. one. You know, and, and how easy is it to change those boxes? Because as soon as you say, here's the list of fucking boxes you need to be able to check to purchase a firearm, okay, well, what's keeping the next asshole from coming and say, we're going to add 40 fucking boxes to that? Mm -hmm. How hard is it to do that? Does it take a fucking act of Congress? Probably not. Like, one, once it's there, the floodgates are open for now. Sure. You know, I mean, to me, that that's where tyranny creeps in. A lot of people are like, Jesus Christ, is that serious? To me, yeah, it is. Uh, and, and what I would ask, I guess, is that, you know, falling into that same thing is that, you know, I'm assuming then that there's probably certain types of firearms that that you would say you'd rather people not have, or do you think it should be fair game? And, and for those of you listening that when I said, you know, a little while ago, when I, I pulled something out and said, this is legal here in Texas, I know it wouldn't be in Illinois, check it on YouTube, but I'll explain it. It's basically a sawed-off shotgun. Instead of a pistol grip, though, it's more of like a flintlock grip where, where it's more straight in line with the gun, super short barrel, 12-gauge. It's got a little adapter to shoot uh, mini shells, so you can fit about 11 mini shells in here, which are pretty fucking nasty. But, you know, I, I walked in to a gun store here in Texas and purchased this one afternoon, walked right in, purchased it, purchased the ammo, and walked out, you know, which is, you know, you can do that with almost anything here in Texas. <sighs> sounds awesome. It is. It sounds like heaven. You know, but to me, it, it should be that way everywhere. I, I am a fan and a believer and an advocate for constitutional carry, that if you're a citizen of the United States, you ought to be able to fucking carry a gun in your waist wherever the fuck you want, including a school, including a fucking courthouse, including anywhere. Because again, if you want to go in there with, with a gun and you have it illegally, you're not going to listen to that shit anyway. But my, my question, and I'll get off my soapbox here, is, you know, is, is there a limit to which you think people should be able to purchase certain firearms? And, and again, how do you, if, if the answer is yes, which I'm ascertaining it is based on the previous statements, is that how do you justify or regulate, rather, who makes those those laws and who determines what you can have and what you can and, and things of that nature. Would I love to be able to go into a, a store and be able to do the same thing in Illinois? Sure. For me, I would love that. Again, I know me and I know, you know, it, you know, I, my love of guns, you know, and my love of firearms and the collectability of them and, and my passion for them. It, it, all that comes into play, I would absolutely say without a doubt, yes. However, how do you restrict, uh, you know, who... Uh, it, 
I guess you have to have certain restrictions on who can do that, you know? Otherwise, you have somebody who has a lengthy violent criminal history going in and purchasing those things. I mean, you have to have those check boxes in order to verify that the person that is actually purchasing this is not, you know, a violent offender of crimes or, you know, is good not purchasing this. You can't predict what people are purchasing their firearms for, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to have, I feel like you have to have certain, those boxes to what, kind of what would make be the, sure. What would be the boxes if, uh, if you were in charge? Violent, of, well, the boxes that we have in Illinois are age requirement, obviously. Um, whether you've have had any psychological issue, and I don't know the wording exactly, although I, I read it all the time. It's whether you have psychological issues of, that you've been deemed with by a doctor um, or have you ever been locked in a, a psychiatric uh, Yeah, something yeah. like something to that effect. Mm. Um, whether you have a, a violent criminal history, whether you had a domestic violence issue. Um, I think there's a couple more, but I can't recite off the top of my head, but yeah. there's not there's not a whole there's not a long list, yeah. to be honest with you. It but, really isn't a long list. Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go! The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. <laughs> Chumba. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woohoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, Is it safe to say you agree with all of those? So I, I, think, I, I, think I, I think I would as far as do I want the guy who's been convicted of of violent criminal offenses going in there to Walmart and just buying a gun whenever he wants, any type of gun. I, I don't know. As a police officer, I don't know if I, if I would want that necessarily, you know. Yeah. Um, I think there should be some restrictions on who can buy the guns and who can't. And I think one, that would be a factor. Yeah. You know, again, for me, yeah, I'd love to go in there and buy any gun that I want um, at any time that I want. But even then, I got to wait, you know, the required waiting period and, you know. Even as a cop. Even, even as a cop, unless I'm buying it for duty purposes. God, that's fucking crazy to me. Um, so here, I'm going to play. And I guess it's all where, I guess it's all in what you were brought up, you know, in the environment that you were brought up in. For us mm. in Illinois, we're like, okay, that, you know, whatever, you know, that's fine. It's, yeah. You know, it's what we're brought up on. But I, yeah, I could see somebody from, you know, Texas being like, what the fuck, you yeah. know. I mean, there's. You know, if if you look at statistics, I mean, to me, the the ultimate statistic 
that you should look at when you're, you know, trying to identify ways to keep people from killing each other is the murder rate per capita. Completely irrespective of, of how people are killed, it should be how many people are killed per 100,000, you know, which is mm-hmm. the standard FBI statistic. Because to me, that is what dictates how violent a society is. And, and to me, I would, you know, here's my devil's advocate question, because this is how I, I truly believe. This is what I truly believe in terms of, you know, who you, who you allow to buy guns or not is that as a free United States citizen is that I think everybody should be able to go buy whatever is commercially available. And here's why is that, uh, and I would ask you, I guess, is that person that you would say, you know what, I don't think they should be allowed to buy guns, right? Is that, would you also restrict their ability to buy a chainsaw? Uh, or an F-250 fucking pickup truck that they could run 200 fucking kids over at a, at a park. Uh, or, you know, the, the, <laughs> right, the, the right. same Walmart scenario, like that same fucking kid that went, that went in, you know, walked through the you know, parking lot and, and just inside the Walmart in El Paso not long ago could have done the exact same thing with a vehicle. Uh, and so, you know, my take is, is that we, we already have a system in place, you know, and this, this goes to red flag laws, TAPS Act, any, any, what you hear coined as common sense gun legislation, which I think is a total crock of shit, is that there's already a system in place that says, you know, if if you're so worried about somebody to where you don't think that they should be able to purchase a firearm or they should have their existing firearms confiscated from them, then that motherfucker should be in a straitjacket in a padded room. And that essentially is already in place. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're worried about somebody hurting themselves or others, you, you go to a, a fucking mental professional and by law, they are required to report it and they're either admitted, evaluated or, or whatever. I mean, to me, there's a system in place. And so my take just very simply in terms of leaving the discretion part out, because I, I just see so many fucking problems with giving people too much discretion when they're in powers uh, or they have authoritative power and they abuse that is that, you know, again, like if, if I'm saying this person is so dangerous, I don't think they should be able to buy guns, then I, I you know, to me, they shouldn't be on the fucking street, you know, because there's a lot of ways you can kill people. And, and going into Walmart and buying a fucking shotgun or an M4 or a fucking pistol or a crossbow or a fucking sure. hatchet or a goddamn chainsaw or a fucking lawnmower, a power tool, you know, a truck, fucking fertilizer. I mean, there's a million different ways you can, you can fuck a lot of people up, <laughs> right, you know, right, so. Right, sure. You know, to me, like it, it really is kind of that simple, and and I I fail to understand why. At least, you know, again, of course, I'm biased. That's what I think, and it makes mm-hmm. sense to me. But you know, to to date, I haven't really heard a lot of pushback that says, "Well, no, that's totally wrong," and here's why. Do you? I mean, hearing me explain it that way, do you see validity in that? Or absolutely, and putting it that way, where you right, and, and I guess initially I was kind of thinking, well, are you asking me like, is it? Does it matter on the person who's buying it, or are you asking me about the type of weapon that they should be purchasing? Well, and I guess both. it's both. Yeah, I no, mean, no, yeah, and I yeah. determined that that it it's it's probably be both. And the thing is, is that it's you know again, constitutionally thinking, do I think that everybody who has certain psychological problems should be locked up? No, maybe yeah. they're controlling it with their medication or whatever, and they're completely fine, you yeah. know, operating in, in society every day. But do I think that they should have access to firearms readily available to them so that way when they have their episode when they crack up that they're going to commit, you know, a violent crime? Yeah, I don't think, yeah. you know. So I, I totally tr- I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just saying, and again, do I want those rights 
for myself because I'd love to just go purchase whatever I want whenever I want. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. But thinking a bigger picture, I'm thinking, do I want the guy who's on medication, who's controlling his episode this week to be able to go buy medication or to be able to go buy a firearm that next week when he's not controlling it or he forgot to take his pill or whatever is now having a violent episode that I'm now going to have to respond to his house. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if that's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly understand that position in, in your shoes and potentially having to deal with somebody that I, I would, I would also, you know, bring up the viewpoint or the perspective and that, you know, no different than drugs is that, you know, fucking heroin's illegal everywhere. Right. You know, there's a federal ban on it, and it's a sure. federal felony in every 50 fucking, all 50 states, yet it's still super easy to get. Not, Absolutely. Not expensive and available fucking everywhere, you know. And so the, the problem, I think, that I know I have, and, and I, I'm assuming the most people that have staunch, you know, resistance to any type of gun legislation, like myself, is that it is in that, and that guns are a unique mechanism in that, you know, drugs, it's pretty fucking cut and dry. It's pretty black and white. Like, they're fucking terrible. I, I mean, I still take the, the opinion, like, I say legalize everything and let fucking Darwin handle right. it. I, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I really yeah. do. Uh, but would it be the Wild West probably for a couple of years? Probably. But I think it'd sort a lot of shit out that needs to right, be sorted right, out. Right. Uh, I think it'd empty a lot of mental health institutes, too. But um, probably get a little worse before it got better. However, um, is that similarly, like, you know, because a lot of times the... The argument is, you know, you know, is a parallel to drugs. And to me, where, where you have a stark contrast with guns and that there is a very positive application in, in that the perspective or the, the reference that we're talking about, it's self-defense, it's home protection, it's, you know, against a potentially tyrannical government, which real quick before the smart asses out there think, well, what are you going to do with a shotgun when the fucking military rolls in with a tank? I can tell you from experience in Iraq, a group of motivated motherfuckers with nothing but AKs is way harder to deal with than you fucking think they are. So, you know, and, and rest the fuck assured, if, if it came to that in this country, th there's a reason everybody has what they have, and I, I don't think you should take that from them. Having said that, um, you know, that positive benefit of home protection, self-protection, property protection, and also being able to hunt, there are a, a number of incredibly positive applications that, that firearms are, are necessary for that you can't have that same parallel with drug use. And so to me, it, it further highlights the importance of not fucking with any mm -hmm. type of gun ownership and that, um, you know, because if you look at, at anything that's, that there's a federal ban on, you can still get it that fucking quick. You right. know, and so with these people, they're they're still going to find it, and I don't think it's worth the. Well, you know, if if we can at least make it harder for that person, if that makes it impossible or or too hard for somebody, you know, whether it's a waiting period, waiting on a restraining order and a firearm or whatever, some somebody gets fucking murdered because of it. I I just think, you know, this country was based on that shit at a at a primal fucking you know constitutional level any motherfucker in this country if they want to own a gun they ought to be able to sure. I mean, that, that's just my take on it but oh, any, and anything I, to I, I totally get that and yeah i agree I, I do agree with that i mean i think like i said i'm a big point of second amendment i think that if you want a firearm you should be able to get your firearm but i think there has to be requirements because i don't want every shithead in the world to be you know your intent is to get that firearm and protect your interest yeah you know the shithead on the street is looking to harm me and the people i protect yeah so I that's mean, a different perspective i mean that's a well, different uh, where i'm thinking okay for for you the citizen 
I'm not worried about you. And trust me, yeah. I'm not coming in with my tanks to take your guns. Fine. Yeah. And, you know, you can, that's fine. But the thing is, is that when you have shitheads on the street that are trying to obtain these and then use them for criminal purposes against, you know, police officers, against society. I mean, that's, well, that's but- where I have to kind of like think, okay, is there something that we can do to where I could eliminate that? And one of the things is what we talked about is tougher penalties on people that, that do do that. I mean, yeah. that, that utilize weapons for that. No, I agree. To me, that, that is the only way. Uh, I, I don't think further restricting people from obtaining firearms is going to do any fucking thing in terms of the people that, that want to get them. I mean, we've already essentially established, just take Chicago as an example, with, with the lopsidedness of gun laws being what they are, is that, I mean, you said it yourself, is that you know it's easier to just get one illegally and, and not fucking... You know, go through the whole process because it's such a pain. Yeah. So to me, if it's that easy to get one, making it harder to get one legally is gonna is gonna make it more enticing to get one illegally. So, to me, I, I get you know I understand the the thought process that people have and and it's well intentioned, but it's making too many assumptions that a just aren't possible to enforce. If they were possible, you wouldn't be able to buy drugs mm-hmm. anywhere in this country. Right. And number two is that you know the 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 element or the the severity with which you would have to trample on every law-abiding citizen's rights to make it to to make any type of realistic you know element of of increased difficulty for you know a shithead to get a gun would be so drastic and severe that it's just not worth it in my opinion mm-hmm. and, and frankly I think it's just physically not even possible because between 3D printers the fact that you know, name one thing that's that's banned that you can't get in twenty minutes right. and a fucking thousand dollars, tells you you know that you can't stop it. You know, yeah. so you might as well try to regulate it in terms of letting the people you know regulate themselves by you know either letting them do what the fuck they want to do. I mean, to me, it boils down to with great freedom comes great responsibility, and I think you got to just let that shit shake out. And, and freedom is dangerous sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, but. Uh, we'll stop beating that dead horse. I am curious in, right. in, in talking about, and I agree 100%, like enforce what's there and be way more stiff about it, especially as it relates to, to illegal. If you, as a judge, make a really sharp contrast between, oh, you got it legally, here's your slap on the wrist. Right. You got it and illegally, so- I'm going to cut your fucking hands off. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and that leads into my next question. Prison, sentencing, punishment, rehab. I have a, a very uh, unique, I guess, policy or, or thought process on how prison sentences should be enforced. W- what's your take on the prison system, the privatization of it, uh, you know, the, the, the recidivism rates that seem to be, um, you know, plaguing us in this country and, and there being so many fucking people in prison. Uh, what is your take on that and, you know, a potential solution to it? Once again, I think that people need to be, first of all, they need to be afraid of going to prison. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are not. I believe, trust me, it, I get people in our, when we arrest them, then, oh, where's my blanket? Yeah. I'm cold back here. I'm like, are you, do you think you're at the fucking Holiday Inn or where do you think you're at? Yeah. Like a blanket? You know, I, where's my water? I need water. I'm thirsty. Where's my soda? Where's my meal that I'm supposed to get? I'm like, yeah. you know, are you kidding? So people are not afraid to get arrested. I mean, yeah. You know, some of uh, some of the jails that we have, I mean, it, look, I walk into some of those Cook County jails and I'm like, fuck, I don't want to be in here. But some of those people are fine in there. You know, they get their bologna sandwich or whatever the hell they get in there and, and they're fine. You know, it's not, 
I think people, first of all, have to be afraid to go to prison. Yeah. You know, um, I guess talking, if, you, if you like ass sex, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, I'm if, going if, back to prison. Right. Yeah. Woo. Need to get laid. Um, but here's the thing is that, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine from, from another country. Um, and she's from Russia. She says, you, you go to jail and <laughs> that's fucked up. You know, like yeah. you don't want to go to those jails. You're scared to death. To You're go scared to death. You may not come out, you know, mm -hmm. and therefore people don't want to go to jail you know, over there, you know, I think that fear of going to jail um, is a big deterrent, you know, or it may be a big motivating factor to try to escape even harder, you yeah. know, so, yeah. um, so you got to think about that aspect too. Yeah, now, of running, like if they do try to catch you, you're going to run like your Or they're going to fight even harder might... because they don't want to go to jail, you yeah. know, that's, you know, it's funny because I, I, I said, you know, he, we, we have a canine guy and I said, you know, I don't eat your dog, I'll just bark like a dog and fucking they'll give up you know <laughs> so I, I tried it one day i get on the pa and i'm like you know get the fuck and, out and i go chasing after the dude right because i'm thinking okay he'll give up because he hears the dog you know fucking ran faster yeah you because actually he, did that huh <laughs> yeah. god that's fucking priceless I said, he actually ran faster i was yeah. like he goes i guess your plan didn't work i go nah i fucking didn't work so i guess if you made uh, jail a lot more scarier people yeah. would fucking fight harder not to go there yeah or they would behave i guess yeah. so you got yeah you know, a split thing there, I think. But I think once they're there, I mean, you got, look, here's the deal. I fucking got my law degree and I fucking paid for it myself. You know, my GI benefits only went so far, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and I used them up before I even went to law school. Yeah. I did the um, same thing, not and, law school. but and, and, and I had to pay for that. And I'm still paying for that on my pocket. And then I hear about these guys going to jail that are getting their bachelor's degree yeah. while they're in jail. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, how is that right? How yeah. is that fair? You no, know? yeah, it's total bullshit. Uh, because they didn't get this same shake in society that I had. Well, no, that's bullshit. My parents didn't pay for my college. I didn't, yeah. you know, my parents worked their asses off to take care of me. But everything that I have, I fucking worked for. Yeah. You know, yeah. I did this. So how yeah. do they have, they were, they need society to carry them, but I don't get any benefits. Not that I want it. Trust yeah. me, I don't want it. But I don't think that they should be getting that shit in jail either. So that's, yeah. what, that's what I'm saying is that people are going to jail and getting coddled. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going in there and there's no fear of going to the jail. And then they're getting out and they're like, fuck it. I, I can't tell you how many people are like, fuck it. I'll go to jail. I don't care. Yeah. They like don't fucking care. And, and I mean, with certain people, it's actually, I mean, it's a better deal for them. Like they can't do shit on the Absolutely. outside. You know, they can't hold a job. They can, you know. I, trust me, there's a lot of guys that are in the military that are like that. They're oh, not yeah. going out in the civilian world because yeah. they need that. Yeah. Rigidity. They need yeah. that structure. They need that. Yeah. Hey, I need somebody to tell me what to wear, what to eat, where yeah. to go, what time to be there. You know, yeah. because they can't do that for themselves. You yeah. know, you know a lot of guys like that. So you know? yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think, and, and to me, you you hit the nail on the head in terms of how I view it too. Is that 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 is by far the biggest problem uh, is is the prison experience. Um, and I'm curious then what uh, what would your solution be to to make it so that um, you know, people want to just not go and stay the fuck out. Bless you, your idea first. Right. So here, here, here's my idea. Is that, uh, to me, um, in keeping in line with exactly what you said, is that, you know, I, I would, a couple things. Number one is I would, I would make the punishments incredibly unpleasant, but in my opinion, not cruel. And I know a lot of people would disagree with me. They would say it's cruel and unusual punishment. It's against, the, it's unconstitutional, therefore we can't do it. But here's my mm -hmm. take is that, you know, there's, several million people in prison right now. 
um, you know, we, per capita, we've got the, the most people in prison of, of any country in, in any, uh, we'll call it advanced, if you want to call it that, you know, modern Western society by far. Um, I think privatization of prisons plays a, a big role in that and that it's no different than similarly with, uh, say, the military industrial complexes, that there is an incentive to keep people in prison because there's a lot of big corporations or, you know, companies rather that are making a lot of fucking money off of it. That's problem number one. Uh, so I would shit can that first and make it all federally, you know, run, funded, et cetera. But I would, I would make the, um, the actual living conditions like this. I would say, you know, have, have a cell just big enough to mostly lay down. Obviously, you know, some people are taller or shorter or whatever, but a really fucking small cell mm -hmm. with a hole in the ground uh, to go to the bathroom in. And a on the next guy below, yeah. No, just uh, <laughs> single individual cells, all just a straight, straight pipe drain. And to me, again, it's not you know, it's not torture, it's not putting people in, in uh, you know, where you're throwing shit on each other, it's not you know, uh, you know, fucking some sort of crazy island where you're letting people beat each other to death. It's everybody has a very small cell, there's a hole in the ground to, to shit and piss in, and there's a sink to get water out of, uh, you know, for whatever you need water for. That's it. That's all that is in there. And you have no bed, there's no blankets, there's no pillows, and you don't get to wear anything. There's no way to kill yourself. Uh, maybe you can figure out how to drown yourself with some of the water and some fucking, you know, whatever. But generally speaking, there's, there's no items whatsoever. There's no TV, there's no radio, there's no nothing. Um, and while you're in there with no clothes and no bedding and no nothing is that the ambient temperature is also kept. And again, it's going to vary a little bit. You got somebody that's 380 pounds versus somebody that's 97 uh, there's going to be some disparity there, but you keep it at a miserably cold temperature and not enough to hype them out, but real fucking close. Now, imagine a, a scenario like that where that's what you get, right? Mm -hmm. Is that that's how it's going to be for, we'll say two weeks. I can tell you from going through hell week, two weeks would feel like 10 fucking years in that mm -hmm. environment where there's no stimulation whatsoever. You're getting a bowl of gruel, basically, that gives you just enough nourishment to not fucking starve to death with no flavor. You're freezing your ass off with absolutely nothing. I can tell you, like, you could reduce, you know, with the exception of, you know, 20-plus year sentences. And even then, like, to me, if somebody needs to spend 20 years in prison... I mean, why are they even fucking alive at that point? Uh, if, if something is bad enough to, to lock them up for 20 years, to me, then, then that's a different conversation. But everything else that's not life in prison or super, super long sentences like that should be those types of conditions. And you could commute those sentences to really short periods of time, which means you're spending nothing on mm -hmm. people in terms of resources. There's not TVs, there's not weights, there's not degree programs, there's not all this other bullshit. They spend very little time in prison. It's an enormous fucking deterrent to stay the fuck out of prison. And, you know, between the shortness of time and the lack of resources, you know, we cut our, our budget down, which means now we don't have to privatize it. The federal government can afford it because they're super short sentences with no real right. resources being added. And, and in my opinion, that would fix 95% of the fucking problem. I could live in a world like that. I agree. Uh, um, and I don't I never, think it's cruel I'll be honest with you. I never thought of it to that extent. Um, my thought process has gone as far as, hey, make jail not a pleasant place to be, yeah. and people won't want to go there. Yeah. To me, but if that if that's I, the goal, then make it so fucking unpleasant. Yeah, yeah you know, absolutely. And, and to me, that's the... Yeah, but the, you know you're going to have people out there. Oh, that's yeah, you, no, that would never that's happen. That's inhumane. That's, yeah. you know, you can't do that. If they can't work out, they're yeah. going to, you know... 
how are they going to take care of themselves? Yeah. Everybody should get proper exercise. And yeah, well, you can do it in the cell. And and I'd have you know a big enough window to get enough sunlight in there where they're still getting sunlight. But I wouldn't let them out otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, again, they're not spending a lot of time in there. You know, but that fucking time, uh, you know, just long enough to make them be like, I, I do not ever fucking want to come back right. here. And it doesn't take long in an environment like that for for that mentality to set in and for you to think about that next time you want to slap somebody and take their shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my take on it. But any uh, anything to add to that? No. Yeah. Fucking sign world. you up. Yep. <laughs> all right. We're good. We all know that'll never happen. And nobody's ever going to pick uh, me to run a jail anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Fucking you, you and me both. Uh, real quick, uh, drug legalization. Do you have a, a, a philosophy or a, a stance on that? Legalize it if they want to fucking, yeah. you know, kill themselves with that shit. You yeah. Know, Every, mean, you think everything? Like, I think it's cause. I, how do you, again, now you talk about discretion. I mean, how do you pick and choose what, you know, is, yeah. is this legal or is that legal? Yeah. You know, it's like, how do you pick and choose? I mean, yeah. look, they're going to, just like weapons, they're going to get the shit that they want. Yeah. I mean, no matter what. Yeah. You know, I found it amazing. They gave me a, a prescription for a while for acne. And I fucking had to sign my life away on this thing. And I had to swear that I'd come in every day to get my, you know, blood pressure check. Oh, every month when I renewed my prescription, I had to get my blood pressure checked. I had to get, you know, blood drawn and all this stuff to see if it was causing an effect in my body. Fucking acne medication. Yeah. But yet you could go in the doctor and say, hey, I need some Oxycontin. Yeah. And you're getting that shit. I'm yeah. like, why do I have to do this for freaking acne? I'm like, is this addictive? No. Yeah. The only thing it does could... Possibly cause birth defects. That's it. So, but I got to sign my life away for this. But yeah. anybody can walk in and get, you know, yeah. whatever drugs that they want. I mean, look, if they're going to get drugs, they're going to get the drugs. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I think that causes a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, making it illegal. Again, we're focusing our resources on something that's going to wipe, have its self, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, regulating as far yeah. as, you know, as far as that goes. Now, you've already started with cannabis. You know, in a lot of the states and, you know, what, I mean, how are you going to say that cannabis is worse than cocaine because of its addictive properties or because of what it does to people, how it changes them? Look, I've dealt with people on cocaine. I've dealt with people on cannabis. I'd rather deal with people on cannabis because they're like, yeah. hey, dude, whatever, man. You want to <laughs> search me? Fine. Yeah. Search me. What the fuck? I don't give a fuck. You know, they don't give yeah. a shit, you know, but somebody on coke, man, they want to fucking fight everybody, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, as from a law enforcement perspective, I'm like, how I want, who do I want to deal with? Yeah. I don't really want to d- deal with the guy on coke. I'd rather deal with the guy on weed, but you know what? I'm going to have to deal with him either way. So yeah. as far as legalization, you know what? Yeah. Let them fucking fuck yeah. themselves up. And- See, to me, so I guess the it's it's an interesting perspective, you know, how how loose you are on, on drugs. But, you know, when it comes to guns, there's some stipulations. And I understand that you're far likely to be shot than, you know, somebody beating you to death on cocaine. But having said that, that that other side of the token of, you know, so many beneficial uses for them in terms of, of how we employ them and, and, you know, homeowners do, landowners, et cetera, uh, you know, to me f- further reinforces a, a reason for, for guns being. Well, I think you know, if certain. because of the drugs where they're harming themselves, they're going yeah. out and, you know, killing themselves with it, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess I think of firearms. I guess I'm thinking or, in terms when you say the firearms, I'm thinking in terms of the active shooter guy or the guy who's going to go yeah. commit the crimes or the guy who's going to commit a crime against law enforcement. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking in terms of that when I make that, you know, yeah. I, I'm not making the parallel that, oh, you know, I'm okay with the drugs, but not okay with the guns. I mean, I'm okay. 
I guess I'm not okay with the gun because the guy who's getting these illegally, who's going to use them for criminal activity, is going to use them against me, my brothers and sisters. They're going to use them against society. That's yeah. the problem that I have. The person who's going out and getting the drugs is going, and they're getting fucking high, and they're killing themselves is yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Is there a chance they could get behind the wheel of the car and, and harm people? Yeah, but they could fucking drink alcohol and do the same shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so the, the drug use is on themselves where I'm thinking in terms of the gun use as far as using it on the other, other people. They're mm. obtaining these illegally not to use for themselves. They're obtaining them illegally to commit criminal acts. Yeah. Whereas the drugs they're obtaining to use for themselves and... Yeah, I guess, you know, to me, it, it seems a little semantic-like, in my opinion, and that, you know, again, not to rehash this whole fucking thing, I'll, I'll drop it after this, but just is that, you know, I just don't see that making any type of restrictions is going to make it any harder for somebody to get them, because it's it's so easy to get shit, it's, it's easy to get whatever you want, sure. you know, but... Uh, and we'll drop it for those of you rolling your fucking eyes listening. <laughs> but uh, you can't argue with the guy from Texas about guns. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and shit, I'm not even from here. But uh, but I, you know, to me, just you know, I, I have a, a bit of a, a libertarian streak, I guess, uh, when it comes to just trying to stay consistent on you know, it's it's either completely okay or it's not at all okay, you know, type mm -hmm, of thing. But, right. And I know life isn't no, that, that simple, but. It's not, yeah it's, yeah, it's not, especially from a law enforcement perspective. Yeah. And that's, I guess, and that's where I'm getting a lot of, you know, yeah, my views on that True. is kind of. Yeah. yeah, no, and I mean, that's shit. Like that's I said, whole, for me, personally, fuck it. I yeah. want to buy guns whenever I want. Yeah. But No, I mean, that's the whole reason you're here, right, right. is to get that, that law enforcement perspective because I, I don't have it. You know, one of the things that uh, you talk about, we talk about parallels between, you know, military service and police service is, you know, losing people, uh, you know, brethren, uh, brothers, sisters, what have you, just fellow, you know, uh, folks that, uh, that we work with that die in the line of duty and, and how mm -hmm. big of an impact that, uh, that has on all of us, because, you know, we you can't help but think it could have just as easily been me sure. You're attached to that person. It's a, it's a stark reminder of the dangers that you face day in, day out. What's been your experience in terms of within your department uh, of any officers that you've lost and the impact that's had on both you and the department? Right. So um, we have lost. We did lose an officer um, in 2017 um, in the line of duty. Um, but I think it, in terms of where I'm at as far as like at the academy and stuff, I think that it even plays a larger role in my own life as far as um, you know, being feeling that sense of responsibility for these kids I train. And I know we've talked off air about, you know, it, where you guys trained guys and you're like, fuck, I now feel responsible. I hope I did everything I could to make sure that they're safe. And, you know, um, you know, even though what you did didn't cause the tragedy, it's kind of like that sense of responsibility that you have because of the training that you provided them. You know, you're like, hope oh, I did everything I could. So I feel that, especially with the particular officer that we did lose within our police department, being the training coordinator and being out at the police academy. Um, you know, I, I brought the kid to get his uniforms when he was, you know, brand new rookie, you know, and here I am, you know, getting all his uniforms for him, his new belt, his new duty belt, his new gun and everything, you know, and then we get him at the academy, we, we get him trained. And then, you know, about a year and a half later, you know, I'm now removing his, you know, duty belt and stuff for the last time. I mean, that was, 
that had a huge impact on me, especially yeah. being his boss and yeah. like, um, the sense, sense of responsibility, sense of responsibility yeah. for him. You know, he, he, he died in a crash, um, in, within our town. So, and we were all working. So we, we were the ones that responded out there. Um, and not just for me, but for everybody that was there and everybody within our department. I mean, it had a huge effect on, on all of us, you know, and was it, uh, was he chasing somebody or was it just, he a, was responding to a call. Yeah. 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 Um, and, but the thing is, is that, you know, you say that parallel between the military and law enforcement. I mean, there is a huge parallel because, you know, I think with, with society now, I mean, there's a little more awareness with regard to PTSD and, and that sense of loss and, you know, people's feelings as being in combat and stuff. And I think people are more aware of that with the military, whereas it's not as prevalent with law enforcement. I don't think society thinks about that too much. I think, you know, they just take us for what we are and think that we do what we do and we could, we're fine. Yeah. You know, but it's not just that with that loss. I mean, some of the calls that we go to, um, you know, years ago, we had a mom that sliced her daughter, four-year-old daughter to death, and we had to respond to that and deal with that. I yeah. mean, that's, so it's not even like even being in combat where you have an enemy combatant that you're going after. You have no personal relationship to that person. You don't know anything about them. You're just terminating their life because they're attacking, you know, because of what they stand for. Here, we're thinking, this is America. Yeah. These are Americans that are doing this to each other. And it's like, so it has a totally different, you know, impact on us as far as that goes, you yeah. know, as far as like what we're seeing day to day. And trust me, in, in, in my small town community, we still see a lot of that stuff, but not as much as some of your larger municipalities that get that on a day to day basis and having to deal with that, you yeah. know. And that whole machoism, you know, I, I've talked to a few friends that say, you know, you're not going to get this person to come forward and say that they're fucked up because they're going to lose their job. Yeah. So now they have to fucking deal with that or the, otherwise they're going to lose their job. Yeah. You know, they can't come forward and say, oh man, I had a really hard time with that because they're going to send you off to the psychiatrist. He's going to say that you have PTSD and now you're done. Yeah. So a lot of guys are not going to come forward with that. And then now you see like a high suicide rate for not just military, but for law enforcement because of that. Well, and you bring up a good point, you know, the, in terms of the disparity or the contrast between, you know, what military folks deal with overseas versus here. And I think, you know, in, in just, I guess, thinking about or trying to reason why there's uh, far fewer members of society, I think, that, that understand or believe or even think about uh, police officers having PTSD with the stuff that they deal with is, is exactly like I said, it's because it's here in the, in the United States. Right. You know, so like, well, you're not getting blown up. You're not, you know, whatever, like there's, I, I can see how there are certain elements to it that would be worse than being overseas, just like you said, and that it's, you know, people that are from your community that you're seeing this fucking right. happen right down the fucking street, not halfway across the world. You know, and so I think a lot of people just don't think of it that way. They're like, well, this is America. You know, there's not a war going on. Right. Like, how exactly. bad could it be? And it's like, well, actually pretty fucking bad if that's some all you're thing, dealing yeah, with. Some and, of the things that, that we do see as police officers are like, yeah. you know, even I've had officers quit going to their first traffic accident because it was too, yeah. you know, because it was too bloody or gory and stuff like that. And we've seen, so I've seen some pretty bad traffic accidents, yeah. some deaths and, you know, and it's like, guys, you know, people getting their heads ripped off and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. that's 
some pretty gory shit. And it's like, well, fuck, I just have to deal with it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Does stuff like that haunt you at all? Like, do you have images and shit like that? Like some of the worst or, you know, more uh, traumatic accidents? No, like you know what? I don't, I don't think of it like that. I think yeah. if I try to rationalize it as, look, this is part of my job. This is what I do. This is how it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't deal with that. Probably the toughest thing I had to deal with is, you know, the loss of, of our officer, Ray. Yeah. You know, and he's, I mean, I'm always going to think about that. Not just because, um, but I brought him in when he was a brand new guy and, and got him trained and, he, you know, got him up to speed. And then now he's on the street working for me. But because I was one of several officers that responded out there when the accident happened and yeah. saw, you know, saw that, yeah. you know, and, and like I said, I, I was the first one to put his duty belt on him. I was the last one to take his duty belt off. I mean, that has a huge impact on me, yeah. you know, yeah. as, as his boss. I mean, that's, and you know what? I live with that. I go to work every day and I'm, and I'm fine. You know, there's days where I think about it and I'm like, fuck, you know, what can I have done differently? But, but I don't let it distract me. I, yeah. I let it, I deal with it, you know, and you know, I have the people that I work with that I consult with, you know, that I console with, you know, the guys and girls that I work with are awesome. And, you know, we've all come together as a family when that happened and we were there for each other. Yeah. So I think when you talk about that thin blue line, that's what I think about yeah. is that that community of police officers that come together and support each other in those things, not hide bad stuff. Yeah. You know, that's what I think about. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I know for me there was a, you know, a handful, there's a few students, kids that I put through training that, uh, that were killed overseas, you know, over the subsequent years after, after I put them through. And, and for me, that was, uh, incredibly difficult. You know, there's kind of a, almost a paternal yeah, absolutely. feeling of loss yes. that, you know, that, that was there. It's hard, hard to really describe. Uh, but yeah, that's tough, tough shit. And I can see the parallels. Absolutely. So I, I appreciate you sharing that story. It's some, some heavy shit. What do you think is the biggest issue facing police today? Support internally and externally is the biggest issue from yeah. the public. Yeah. Um, that's probably our biggest issue. And we, and we talked about that with, yeah. you know, getting the public involved, inviting people, inviting the public to your police department and be transparent as far as that regards. Hey, we're not strangers. We're people just like you. We breathe, we eat, we, you know, we have fun, we laugh, we do just everything like everybody else. We're not like, these robots that go out there and just enforce laws without discretion. I mean, yeah. we we take a lot of factors, you know, into consideration, including our own safety and going home at the end of the night. Yeah. You know, those are f legit fears that we have when we start our day, mm -hmm. you know, um, whether it's a fear for ourselves or our fellow officer, yeah. you know, going out there. We're not out there to, to you know, make life miserable for, yeah. for society, especially good people that sure. are out there doing, you know, just doing their thing. You know, I have a different perspective on kind of law enforcement as far as that goes. You know, I'd rather pull you over and bitch you out for doing something than actually writing you the ticket, you know. Yeah. And, and most people would be like, you know, hey, you know, I appreciate that. I'd rather yeah. get chewed out than fucking yeah. pay a ticket, have it on my record, you know. Yeah. But if it gets to the point where you're doing something where it's just absurd, it's like, all right, dude, now you just basically, you know, talked yourself into, you know, yeah. or, or did something you know, I, I had a guy the other night that was driving like a complete ass, you know, and I don't make too many traffic stops as a boss. I mean, but I'll, I'll make my share of stops too, but I don't make too many, you know, and he drives like a complete ass. And I'm like, and now he's shaking and he's, 
I'm like, are you a little nervous like dealing with me? He's like, yeah. I go, well, you created this contact by your actions. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. You did it. Yeah. And you're sitting here all nervous and shaking because the police just stopped you. Don't drive like an ass and the police won't stop you. Yeah. So you created this contact this evening, you know, and he's like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, come on. You know, a lot of times I walk up to the car and the first thing out of my mouth is, if you say anything other than I'm sorry, I'm going to write you a ticket. And yeah. they're like, I'm sorry. Okay, that's a great way to start. Let's go from there. Yeah. Right? Because right away people would think, oh, I got to come up with an excuse. I got to come yeah. up with a reason why, you know, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't speeding. Well, yeah, yeah I stopped you for other things than just speeding, you yeah. know? So we hear all those things, you know? So if I say, hey, the first thing out of your mouth better be, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, good. Let's yeah. start with that yeah. and let's talk about why I stopped you now. Yeah. Well, so I guess falling in line with that, then, if you could pinpoint just one thing, one takeaway for the listener uh, of, of what you, you wish everyone who's not a cop knew. What it feels like to be in our shoes for a little bit. Yeah. Um, understand some of the things that we think about while we're on the street. Um, you know, our partners, our families, you know, again, are we going home at the end of the day? Is this person that I just stopped going to harm me you know those are real fears that we face you know and hey i get it i signed up for this job this is what you know you know like we talked about with the military guys you know this is what i expect you know i chose this life and i'm willing to live it you know but that doesn't make me not concerned Mm -hmm. you know or in fear of my life when i do make those certain stops especially working midnights most of my career you know working in the dark i mean those you know, those are real fears, especially when you hear it going on in other municipalities. You know, this person got killed. That person got shot. This this happened to that person. It's like, holy fuck, I don't, you know, I hope that doesn't happen to me, you know. And, yeah. you know, and the thing is, is a lot of times we could take measures to protect ourselves. Um, but there is a certain element of luck associated yeah. with it. You know, yeah. is today the day that, you know, so if, if I had an opportunity to place each person in my position for just a little bit to understand that I think people would get a better perspective of what we do yeah you know like I said I'm not always in the car out looking to hunt down the, the, the nice soccer mom or whoever is who's abiding the law that just happens to be speeding a little bit or, or you turned around for a second to to smack your kid in the head for getting out of control and you mm. swerved over in the le- you know mm. in the lane and and now you got the police punting you down for improper lane use. I mean, yeah. that's I'm not... I'm just glad it's improper lane use <laughs> and not child abuse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's okay if you smack yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. smack mean, him. Hey, you probably had it coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's when you do it over and over yeah. again as it becomes child abuse. That's yeah. All. yeah. No, I love it. Uh, really good discussions. I, I love the perspective that you bring. And again, I think it's it's important for people to, to hear these types of uh, talks to to get some good uh, insight as to what it's like for, you know, somebody who spent as, as many years as you have being a cop in a, a spillover area of, of a major, you know, pretty gnarly municipality such as Chicago. And, and uh, it's, it's very valuable and, and good stuff. So uh, I appreciate you, you coming to the table with it. Are you, do you do any type of speaking or, uh, you know, do you, do you do any type of consulting, speaking or expert witness or anything like that, that uh, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, can can do so yeah i have um i've done speaking on like i said for use of force um like explaining to civilians kind of like why police do what they do um i spoke to um a group of very liberal um chicago folks who came out to our police academy and 
kind of wanted a better perspective of what the police do. Um, and they were a rough crowd. I yeah. mean, they were, you know, but, but we got through it and I handled a lot of the questions that they asked, you know, um, of course, a lot of them having to do with race and, you know, but we, and, and we dealt with it. And it was, I had a lot of, you know, compliments regarding my, you know, my explanation for why police officers use certain levels of force and why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, so I do do certain things like that. Um, I don't do too much that I get paid for as far as speaking engagements. Um, a lot of times they'll ask me, you know, the funny thing is that Samantha is always like, you know, dad, you should like really brand yourself and kind of go out and do this yeah. and do that. I go, dude, I don't have the ass you have. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> it doesn't uh, work for me. That's an honest you know? dad like, answer right there. She's like, you, you, I can't do the branding that you do that, you know, <laughs> nobody's going to pay me to wear a, you know. Fucking American flag bikini. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't, as, as much as we'd so all easy, love to right. see you in it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I did threaten one time. Yeah. I said, you know, I'm going to start posting the same exact pictures you post in the same outfits and see how you oh, feel awesome. when, when they say, hey, did you see your dad's post? Yeah. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, so I don't, I don't get paid a lot for that. Yeah. I mean, she's always like, you should do more social media stuff, yeah. answer questions. And, yeah. and, and I don't, you know, I mean, maybe I'd consider that later on yeah. down the road. I mean, yeah. but like I said, I'm just busy with the police academy and, and just my own yeah. law enforcement job. Um, I do, I have done expert witness testimony with, yeah. uh, I've, uh, I did a case, my most recent case was the Chicago Police Department reached out to me and uh, it was an officer-involved shooting um, where they um, accidentally um, shot the store owner. Oh, really? Um, came out. Um, yeah, he, um, he, would, uh, he was getting robbed uh, at gunpoint and when the police pulled up, the bad guys dropped the guns and ran out. Yeah. He didn't know that the police arrived, reached down for one of the guns that were abandoned to go chasing after the bad guys. And as he stepped out with the firearm, yeah. CPD arrives, sees the guy running out. They know that they're responding to an armed robbery. You know, they get out there, they see the guy standing there with the gun. They're like, drop the gun, drop the gun. He doesn't drop the gun right away. And, you know. Did they kill him? him? No. No, okay. No. Yeah, man, that's They fucking, fucking shot up that store, though. Yeah. <laughs> Some good training. Yeah. <laughs> Some good marksmanship training. No, they, yeah. They, uh, um, but they, um, but yeah, so I, I, I handled, I did a yeah. expert witness for that yeah. case, you know. So if, um, if somebody does want to get a hold of you to have you come speak or do use of force stuff in their area or whatever, is there a, a method you want to put out there for, for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, they could contact me via email. Um, it's sam.bonia, the number three, at gmail.com. Okay. They can always contact me there or, you know, send me an email, whatever, you know. Yeah. Okay. Tell me that I'm way fucking off on my yeah. views or whatever. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, who you know, knows, man. God I got, knows I got what tough you'll skin. get. I don't yeah. give a shit. You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm, I can handle it. You yeah. know, and you know. And here's the thing: I'm not so fucking close-minded that I'm like these are my views and I would never change my way of thinking. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. That's not me. This, yeah. you know, I'm pretty open and I don't. Again, I don't claim to know everything, and I'm fucking wrong sometimes too. So that's yeah. fine, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, great shit. I again, I I really appreciate you uh, making the trip out here down here and uh and sharing all of your knowledge and experience with uh with people and and letting me badger you for a few hours so that's thank, all right thank you for doing it appreciate no, it very much once again shout out to origin labs uh, maker of jocko's products as well as uh, their own line of supplements jujitsu ease jeans and boots as well as some other products coming down the the pike here um can't thank them enough frankly they do a fantastic job at supporting the mic drop podcast and uh 
we are uh, forever appreciative of that support and sponsorship. So thank you again to Origin Labs. Teamdog.pet. If you own a dog, go to teamdog.pet. That's my online training. Uh, it's more than affordable. Uh, if you own a dog, you should dedicate uh, some of your time to bettering your understanding as to how your dog appreciates the world as well as learns in that world. Uh, so go to teamdog.pet. That's where all my products uh, are for sale. Also links to where all of them are uh, accessible. So uh, last but certainly not least, you, the listener. I uh, can't thank you guys enough for tuning in week after week. Sure, appreciate all your support. Uh, please continue to do so, or choke yourself. And uh, with with that, I will end in as always. Until next time, this is Mike Brown. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot! And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woo-hoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.